I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. is a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher and builder of beautiful things in Greeley, Colorado. And with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We are joined by the... Joel Stabil today. Excellent. Joel, I imagine, has more Enneagram training from a master teacher than anyone on planet Earth. <laughs> Would, can you confirm or deny that, Joel? I can confirm that I've heard the most Enneagram teaching from the best <laughs> Enneagram teachers. Is there ever a point where you're just like, I'm so tired of hearing this? There, so when after a weekend of workshops... And then I get to editing a podcast and yeah. editing the workshop that I've already <laughs> attended. Yes. That's uh there's that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a tipping point for you. <laughs> so I just literally today uh, pulled together all the audio to get ready for Black Friday event. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I pulled together all the audio from our Enneagram boot camp, from Suzanne's Enneagram boot camp mm -hmm. uh, this summer. And that's twenty seven hours. So Oof. To, to be edited. Yeah. I started That's... doing the math on how many hours a day need to be edited. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, ask, ask me again uh, November 30th. <laughs> Joel, tell us about yourself. Okay. Um, Joel Stabile. You know, my mom talks about, my mom, Suzanne Stabile, talks about how she always introduced herself for a long time as Joe's wife or the mother of so and so or Doc and Sue's daughter. And in this arena, I, it just helps to go ahead and say that I'm Suzanne's son and Joe's son. I work for Life in the Trinity Ministries as their everything except for teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, I work on the product, the website, the podcast, the Enneagram journey, you know, events, whatever I can do. I'm married to Whitney Russell Stabile. She's a therapist. She's got the whole alphabet behind her name. Mm. So <laughs> lots of licenses, lots of degrees. Very qualified and just the best human being. And we have a blended family with four kids, Gracie, Jolie, Jace, and Josephine. And, uh, and we're a blended family, so all the J's are not intentional. <laughs> and uh, we live here in Dallas area in Plano, Texas. And that's the, the nuts and bolts of it. Thanks. Nice. You have a slew of people to talk to if you ever are just feeling like you need some some counseling, apparently. Dude, that's what, you know, some of my folks, they're, the thing that they champion the most is everyone needs a counselor and a therapist, and everyone needs a spiritual director. Mm -hmm. And, like, I've got the modern-day spiritual director that anybody would want and the reverend. Right. Uh, and I, you know, and I've got my wife who knows therapy very well. She's an Enneagram one and she's not my therapist because that would be incredibly inappropriate. I think that's uh, uh that's uh, against the rules, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 
She would say so too. Yeah. And, uh, well, and she's an Enneagram one, the rule follower. Yes, oh, believe yeah. me. The, <laughs> sure. the rules come into play all the time and talking about. Uh, so, for instance, she's Suzanne's daughter in law. And if her clients want to go to events and things that she wants to be at, she can't be there. Mm, yeah. Because you know, she is the right. rule follower of rule followers. <laughs> So, but they have got so much knowledge and information to give me that I am at times really happy to hear. Sure. I'm on the opposite side. I'm like looking for the person that's like that. I can, if I could find somebody that's real healthy, that'd be a great counselor. And, and you're in a sphere where you can't escape them. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what, and you know, so why add on another one? You know, right. when I get, <laughs> so it's just another, cause I'm going to hear from them either way. There you so. go. Well, we are in our series on villains. We have discussed six villains, none of which for me come up in my list of, say, things I feared when I was a kid, but today does. Uh, our villain has a, kind of a strong foothold for some people in their childhood fears. Just to get into this, do you all have a childhood phobia? Like anything from your childhood where you're like, this is the thing I was terrified of? Well, I, I've talked a lot about in the course of us recording, I've talked a lot about my fears of uh, open water and space. And those have been with me my whole life. Uh, always been afraid of those things. But I was thinking about this, and, and I also, like, as, as a child and up to probably my mid-20s, I was afraid of banks. <laughs> now, afraid of banks in the way that um, Nick Miller... From New Girl is afraid of banks. A little bit, yeah. Like I, I like I would go into a bank and it would just be anxiety, and I would be nervous and like, like I'm not supposed to be in here. And it was I, I was always I've always been afraid of banks. And then one day I realized that the reason I was afraid of banks is because I've always been bad at money. <laughs> and I think I learned that fear from my parents. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I eventually came overcame that fear, but it was uh, that was a thing that was present through all of my young life. You got one, Joel. For me, the one I didn't have like an everyday fear, but the one recurring nightmare that I had as a child that I think I can tie to my one phobia. That I tie to, I, I say that I have a counterphobic six wing, not big or small, just that's what it is. Uh, it doesn't matter at all, but <laughs> I've got that. Is uh, I had this dream of going when I was a little kid, they were just building the, the high five in Dallas, which was, you know, this intermingling of freeways with this. Uh -huh. For me as a child, you know, it was 6,000 feet in the air, mm -hmm. all these bridges. And going over it, I had this one experience with uh, my two sisters and our biological father in his cool new sports car. Good Lord. It's very cliche. <laughs> and uh, going over it. And first of all, my sisters are both older than me. And so I had to sit in the front seat in this ride. They both hopped in the back seat. I, you know, there's no drawing straws. You'll do what we tell you to. Mm -hmm. Front seat. And just scared out of my mind going over this and so then i started having dreams of falling off of that bridge for a long time mm. so i didn't have like a fear of heights necessarily but i had that fear and now my fear as an adult that i've talked about is are my children or any child 
falling off of a long ledge or yeah sure uh, and i'm it's very very uncharacteristic and unrealistic <laughs> the scenarios <laughs> just one but but deep rooted yeah oh so deep rooted we we will be our uh, uh ltm we are hilton people and we're often the hilton double tree in any city that you go to it's that one that goes straight up, and it's a circle, and the, the sure. middle is wide open. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So no matter what floor you're on, then right. you've got to deal with the... And I am, like, clutching the children close <laughs> to the wall. Uh, oh, it's so awful. And then when I see other people just holding their kids on their hip, walking right next to the railing, mm, sure. I... Oh, it's awful. <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, my the pediatrician that we went to had a building that was like this seventies postmodern, very strange angles. Like the hallways went diagonal all of a sudden, and and the ceilings were a little short, and then they would go really high, and it just made you feel uncomfortable. And I remember it's brown. There was no color at all in this space. And as a kid, I'd walk down the hallways, and I recall on your left as you're going into the place where they're definitely going to put some sort of large needle into your arm and you're going to be in pain for the rest of the day. There was a small painting of a clown smiling and it was the most disturbing picture, <laughs> especially for a pediatrician's office. And I recall, I'm, I don't recall being afraid of any other clowns, but that one, that one haunted my nightmares. And today our Enneagram seven villain might be a clown. We could we could talk actually about all sorts of fantastic villains who are or sevens. There is there is a chaos about the uh, uh, villainous seven that gets plugged into a handful of characters like maybe a Freddy Krueger or a Beetlejuice or a, or a Pennywise. But today, TJ, who is our villain behind door number seven? I would say this is the clown. Right, it's it's the clown of all clowns, the Joker from Fantastic Batman storyline. Now we're gonna focus on Heath Ledger's portrayal in The Dark Knight, directed by Christopher Nolan, opposite Christian Bale, and uh, this is a, a movie. Uh, There's a performance that's so good that he went crazy because of it, and ended his own life and won an Oscar posthumously. Like, that's how... Is that known? Yeah. That he committed suicide? I don't know that... Never mind. Okay, it's, I, I don't it's know not confirmed known. that... I, yeah. I, but he it, died but of a un- drug overdose. Some stuff, that's right? what I assumed it to be. Yeah. That was like the yeah. kickoff of... Uh, man, after that, just kind of some... A lot of dominoes fell, didn't mm-hmm. it? Of very popular American actors... Yeah. Taking yeah. their own life. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No. Uh, yeah. But the like he, but yeah, but he died shortly after. Yep. He did. But I'm not saying it's worth it, but he did a <laughs> spectacular like he disappears into this role so wonder it's 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 hard to watch this and not appreciate how well he did in this role. On the on that front, I, apparently Nicholson told him beforehand, hey, this is going to mess you up, right. so just be prepared. Nicholson, Jack Nicholson told him not to do it. <laughs> Jack Nicholson does The Shining, does Cuckoo's Nest, but when it comes to the Joker, hey, man, Stay you better watch yourself. It's going to mess you up. <laughs> 
This role is, I read an article just in preparation. This uh, one uh, writer said that this is the American Hamlet. That if you are a mm. great actor, a great American actor, this is an, Amer uh, an American role that the greatest actors jump into. Sure. British actors get James Bond or they get Sherlock Holmes or they get Hamlet. Yeah. Right, but apparently this one was the quintessential. If you're a great actor, you got to do this. And as it stands, it's one of only two characters ever to get two different Oscars. Hmm. Um, to uh, Joaquin Phoenix one, which you'll know, and and then Ledger on this one. Nice. Uh, you guys, can you name off the top of your head the other uh, the other character? Is a fictional character to be given. Fic an Academy Award. Is that what we're looking for? Yes. Twice. Two the same character. Got okay, gotcha, gotcha. It would be one Vito Corleone. Oh. Uh, who won uh, from, uh, what, De Niro and uh, Brando. Right. The, the Reverend would know that. <laughs> Is he a Godfather fan? Well, he, oh, he's Italian. He's okay. There you go. He's Italian. This Stabile. Stabile, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well... Um, any other big ideas uh, about the Joker before we jump into this? Uh, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later. So typically at the back part of our villain series, we talk about the other characters that might also be that same type. But in this one, we're talking about different iterations of the Joker because I think that in every single iteration that we've in, that I can think of, the Joker is consistently a seven. Yeah. And like I watched the 1960s Cesar Romero uh, playing the Joker in the Batman movie with Adam West. Uh, I watched Jack Nicholson. I watched this one. Um, I still have not seen the uh, Joker with Joaquin Phoenix because my heart's not ready for it yet. Um, but I think like comic books, movies, cartoons, I think every single time we see the Joker show up, he is always a seven. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, the way that his character is portrayed is um, sort of a testament to writing that character in a specific way. So, let's talk about sevens for a minute, and then we'll 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 do an overlap. But Joel, what is uh, what's the skinny on sevens? Sevens in general, or in general. the villain side that we're talking about today? We'll, we'll jump into the villain here in a minute. Okay. But yeah, what's uh, just yeah sevens in general? Well, the first. I think the key theme that overlaps both on the villain side and the, the average side and the heavenly side is that we want everyone to be okay. Everyone to be okay. Everyone to be ha at least okay. That's the bar. And then be happy. Life is all right. Let's enjoy life and, and go through it. That's a, that's a big theme for me. Mm -hmm. You know, Suzanne talks about the half range of emotions I spoke with her recently that, you know, she talks about happy half and sad, sad half. And my deal is it, it's not happy or sad. It's enjoyable and not enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Just in the everyday life of, hey, you know, if you don't enjoy it, don't do it. And if you don't want to be there, then don't be there. That's, and people get upset at sevens because they live by that philosophy. Right. You know, mm. if, I don't want to go to that, so I don't. And that also goes builds on repressed feeling because it doesn't take other people's feelings into account there. So if we're hitting the bullet points of dominant thinking, which the Joker has in spades, 
in everything, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll talk about. But also, like I said, across the board, healthy, average, unhealthy, thinking is first. Uh, doing is going to support that. And then feeling, if it ever shows up, is going to show up last. Mm-hmm. Yeah. TJ, you got anything to add on that? Um, one of the ways that, that we characterize, one of the big things that we talk about when we talk about sevens is is the uh, sh- strive for opportunities. And um, I, I like to think of it more as a um, making sure they don't get stuck. There's always a plan B. There's always an exit strategy. Uh, they always have one foot stuck in the door so that they never get stuck on the other side of the door. There's always an exit strategy. And and so you see like like sevens have a hard time saying, yes, for sure, I will do this thing that you're talking about because they don't want to commit to that because what if something better comes along? Yeah, I can I can tell you in my personal history. So growing up, I remember specifically the lecture that I got uh, because I wouldn't show up to stuff that I said I'd come to. Mm-hmm. And my folks call me out about it. And I think my folks and my older sisters, who I look, I mean, especially as a a younger human being, looked up to my sisters, thought they were the world, Mm -hmm. you know, and hey, you say you're going to do this and then you don't show up. And then my oldest sister had the first niece or nephew, Will, and after a couple times of saying I'd be somewhere and then not showing up, she gave me that talk also. And so then I, it really hit home with me there because that's I, I felt like I had this bond, and I still do, me and Will, and it hit me. So then I was like, all right, I understand. I finally understand when feelings came into play what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. And people don't like the other side of that either where you're just like, I don't know if I'll be there or not. Right. And I might be there because then that became the that became the answer. Right. I might be there. Don't count on me to bring something. And mm. I I might be there. Yeah. And I don't want to lie to you and tell you that I will be. Right. And that's what uh, people will talk about sevens having uh, FOMO. And I'm like, sevens don't have FOMO. No. <laughs> they don't miss out. They go to where they want to be. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've, I've never really liked the FOMO thing as a description for sevens. No. Other people that are not, and I don't think eights don't have a FOMO. I don't yeah. think threes have FOMO. Yeah. They, they're because gonna they're going to go wanna do be. the thing they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I said this, but hey, Joel, you're a seven, yeah? <laughs> I'm a seven. I am the so, That's why you're going to be the boy. expert on, <laughs> on deconstructing the, all the seven traits of the Joker for us. Um, let's talk about the villainous side of sevens. This is something that TJ, you may know this, TJ and I got turned on to just earlier this year from your uh, mom in terms of the that the dark side of our personality often can be the low side of our security number. So do you have thoughts on that, on the low, on you going to the low side of five and what that looks like? The low side of five, me as a child, is this. I, because we talked about phobias and stuff, that's why I'm going, I'm going backwards here. Mm-hmm. I loved Sports Illustrated. When I was really, I was big into sports. When I was really young, I went from Sports Illustrated for kids, which I had for like a year, to full on every week Sports Illustrated. They made sure not to send me the swimsuit edition. And because that's when you subscribe, that's a part of the selection process, apparently. And, and so every week I get Sports Illustrated and I loved it, read every word in it, collected all the information. 
And that was what I brought to the table in any conversation. And if it didn't have to do with sports as a child, I didn't get involved. And if it had to do with sports, I had it. But I didn't let people, like the first person that I ever let borrow was Sports Illustrated, creased it, bent it up, mm. folded mm. it. And I was like, well, ruined well, it. Well, now that's, that's done. Yeah. Now no one ever will get that again. Mm. Uh, and then that, and then I matured in the fact that uh, I started getting into CDs and then <laughs> loaned one CD out as a teenager. <laughs> That came back scratched, and there went CDs. And yep. now this is my CD collection, mm. and you will get n- no one will borrow it. Sorry for you. And that's the, for me, on five, that's the low side. It is a hoarder who doesn't mm. share. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. The other part of that is, and this is where I think the low side of five and the, um, I'm blanking on the child, which childhood message this is, of you got to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's where that comes from for me. These are my things. I need them to be comfortable. I need them to be happy. I can't, and we'll talk about this later uh, in some of the clips that we're talking about, but other people are not going to help you. You might get help from other people mm. and you can accept it, but you cannot expect help from other people and from outside sources. And I, that's that's a big uh, just daily battle and toggle between low side of five and low side of seven for me that's excellent i I would never have paired that together that the opposite of the heart's message for seven which is sevens need to hear you will be taken care of the low side of five is living in that space of i need to take care of myself by hoarding Mm -hmm. stuff that's beautiful you got thoughts on that teach well just the that wound is is so similar for fives and sevens that idea that other people can't necessarily be trusted or that their needs are too much for other people. Um, like that it, it's so similar for both sevens and fives. It just sort of, it, it comes out in different ways in each type. So when you get the low side of both and you just sort of double down on that same message and it, it's this severe retreat sort of inward Mm. that other people can't be relied on in that way. And both move move away from the other person. Right. So the seven is yeah. just going to go past, and the five is going to go in reverse and right. pull back. And so, it, man, it's super confusing for everyone else. <laughs> sure. Oh, that's interesting. Well, we're talking about the Joker. Uh, any thoughts, just big picture-wise, in terms of thinking, why should we type the Joker as a seven for me i I mentioned it a minute ago but the fact that it is my man is thinking dominant Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he thinks things through and several steps ahead even then more than the uh the batman yeah i was trying to think of (laughs) protagonist even more than the protagonist (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) that he just and in in more than the other, you know, when we're talking about the mob in yeah. the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. he's someone that you can't trust either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why would you give him his money? Like, look, and then have you considered the next step? He that thinking dominant and thinking several steps ahead on both sides, whether it would work or not work. Mm. And so that uh, definitely lends to the thinking dominant. I like that. 
Uh, yeah, I love I I see a lot of forward thinking in this character, uh, like like a I don't want to say planning, but but he does seem to have seen the next step before anyone else does very consistently. And the um, w- watching Cesar Romero first really highlighted this for me. Like it, it, it drew this thread throughout that I haven't really noticed before, but like we are talking about a clown. Like, mm-hmm. like we're talking about someone who makes jokes of everything. Uh, there's a lot of what he's doing that is that sort of, like stereotypical seven entertainment. Like he loves telling stories and, and he's, he's sort of making fun of a lot of things. And there, there is that sort of like entertainer aspect to the Joker that, that seems very in line with a lot of the way that sevens are, are portrayed. And um, if we, if you want to take that to like the next level of, and part of this is theatrical, mm-hmm. but the Joker is never funny at times that he should be funny. Mm, yes. Yeah. So he's always funny or trying to be funny at serious tense moments. No yeah. matter what Joker you pick, mm-hmm. no matter what your Joker you're watching, it's okay. Now here's where I'm going to be funny when it's not a funny moment. Making light and of attention. Or, yes. Yeah. Think that stood out to me was something I, I read something. I thought this was great in terms of talking about an unhealthy seven. The person was describing the Joker as someone with a giddy exterior and a racked interior. And I thought that was a fantastic mm. way to describe deeply unhealthy sevens. And and on the jokes sides, the jokes are him. What is it? It's running from some sort of deep, either trauma or inner pain He's making up stories about his past in order to to outrun whatever this thing is. Yeah, seems like it. it yeah, I mean, just at the if the wife therapist was here, mic'd up. You know what? What is he ignoring? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows? I don't know enough. Uh, whatever history of the Joker, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and not to know if there's different backstories and. But yeah, that. Whether it's mental illness or abuse as a child, and, and what stories do you believe uh, from, yep. if coming from him? Right. But it's all, none of it is the original issue. Right. There it is. Unable to sit in whatever got him to this point, and he's making up stuff. That ends up being, I mean, if you typed this person as a seven, and you were to say, why is he making up stories about trauma? But like severe, as uh, these stories are horrifying half the time about what may have happened to him, and none of them are actually true. All right, let's jump you know? into it. All right. <laughs> okay, so you said, why is he making up stories? Yeah. Part of me, is he making it up? Like, again, what is his truth in that moment? This is... So yeah. in the in the dark night with the different you know he's got a different mm-hmm. story for mm-hmm. how he gets his face and mm-hmm. you know I think that sevens because especially because we don't remember the past very well make the past whatever we want it to be mm. in the moment. Do you experience yeah. this? Yeah, I mean, again on the on the healthy side, I know that I have no clue what actually happened, mm. and I you know and I can just put it there and. Just say if someone if someone else is sharing an experience that I was a part of, I can say in the healthy side, just or average side, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, then that at at the that, very that could least, be the truth. Yeah, at the very least, you remember it differently than they do. Right. Yeah. And then on the unhealthy side, and this is where every you know this is uh, every spousal relationship <laughs> out there that's with a seven from one side or the other that it's remembered a different way from the other person who was there. Mm-hmm. And the other person, the seven in that story, I don't think is lying. They're not making up a story. Especially the Joker who has like a whole, oh my gosh, who knows what's going on in his head. But if we are going to assume that he's a seven, in that moment, that is what mm-hmm. he remembers. Hmm. He remembers that this this is what my father wanted to do was cut my face from ear to ear. I did this for my, oh my gosh, the, you know, the, the sword he, yeah, 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 that I did that ear to ear and and I did this and then it wasn't good enough. But I think in those moments, he believes those stories himself. That mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a lie to him, and I don't think Sevens think that they're lying. I think that they, with their incredible imaginations and the whole anything is possible attitude that a Seven has, that then they fool themselves. Hmm. That's fantastic. Wait, you got thoughts on that, Teach? No, I love that. That's great. Love the image of imagination here. Because uh, we've talked about him being, you know, future focused. You know, he's twelve chess moves ahead of everybody else. But the imagination side is reframing his past as well for the present, whatever he's hoping to achieve in the moment. Ah, yeah. that's good. Mm. Come on. All right, you want to get into this? Love it. So the the first scene is I'm gonna I'm gonna speed through this a little bit quicker than our other movies, but you guys do jump in because um, I'm just gonna shotgun the movie. It starts with a bank robbery. It's one of the the best bank robbery scenes on film because this sucker is in IMAX. It is glorious. We start with that that shot going towards the high rise and the window blowing out and men in clown masks zip lining onto the top of a bank. And then it cuts over to the Joker standing on a street corner, getting picked up an SU- by an SUV, and we don't know it's the Joker yet. But he gets in and puts on a mask. That SUV pulls up in front of a bank. They Everybody's got clown masks, and it's go time. And the characters begin talking. They begin discussing the person who planned the job. So why do they call him the Joker? I heard he wears makeup. Makeup? Yeah, to scare people. You know, war paint. I want to pause there for just a second. The makeup side of the Joker, I think, is real interesting. Um, if you're a seven and you're going to the villainous side, I suppose, if you're unhealthy, what is the makeup about? Man, for me, any makeup is a, it's a protection thing. It's not to amuse. Hmm. Just 100% mm-hmm. protection. Yeah. So he talked about, and if it's uh, you know war paint, that's just an aggressively way to protect yourself. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not a camouflage. It's to scare people off, not draw people in. And the low side of seven is not about uh, drawing people in. It's about scaring people off. Yeah. And and making sure that, uh, A, people are kept at a distance, but also, B, nobody can see the real version of you. Like that, yeah, that it's 100% a mask. Move to five is like, is a retreat. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't want people to know what I actually look like because then I have to deal with reality. I think seven going to five is someone running away and shooting the gun backwards. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. 
it is which he aggressive. does several yeah. times. It, yes, that's what I, that's the note I had too. Yeah, the, the number of times that he just isn't looking and pointing it backwards and yep. shooting while he goes away. Yep. Oh, that's interesting. Well, each of the bank robbers are doing their jobs with a partner next to them, and they get the done with their job, and then the partner shoots them. And this happens a couple times, and you begin to see, oh. There is a rhythm here. Uh, there is a very dark rhythm, a very sinister rhythm taking place in which each of these bank robbers are slowly being eliminated. And we get to this spot where it looks like things actually are going askew during the bank robbery because the manager has a shotgun. A sawed-off shotgun, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does. He comes out with the shotgun and starts shooting. And what's hilarious is he's real confident. You don't have any idea who you're stealing from? You and your friends are dead! And he's not scared at all, apparently. Joker comes out, you know, well, his partner says he's out of, out of bullets, yeah? And, the, and the, the Joker character nods his head. His partner gets up, gets shot. And then the Joker stands up, shoots him, shoots the bank manager down, and then there's kind of a close-up, and you're like, okay, this is a sinister moment. They're pulling out money. They realize from the bank manager and the fact that the safe is wired with electricity that this is a mob bank, and they're moving money out. And then we get to a scene. One of the henchmen realizes that he's the next in line to get shot, and he looks at the character next to him and he says I'm betting the Joker told you to kill me as soon as we loaded the cash and for the first time the other henchman says no 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 I killed a bus driver bus driver what bus driver then a huge yellow school bus smashes through the bank hits our <laughs> hits our villain he goes flying and another clown jumps out the rear of the bus <laughs> That's a lot of money. He starts loading up the bus, and then he says, What happens to the rest of the guys? And this is one of those scenes where the Joker shoots to the back and yeah. shoots behind him. He just shoots the bus driver, and the bus driver dies. And then here's the scene. The bank manager's on the floor. He's been shot. And this guy is confident because he comes out with the shotgun. He works with a mob. Sitting on of the floor dying. That's yeah. it. And he says, Think you're smart, huh? <laughs> the guy that hired Hughes. It just do the same to you. Oh, criminals in his town used to believe in things. Honor, respect. I don't know that that's probably true. Do you yeah, think criminals that, that believe in honor. Criminal that's code. Uh, <laughs> confused. <laughs> honor among thieves. Yeah. Yeah. Look at you. What do you believe in, huh? What do you believe in? Of course, the Joker takes off his mask, shoves a grenade in the man man's mouth. I believe. Whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you a stranger. Ma big manager's eyes go wide and the Joker walks off towards the bus and there's a, a, a thin purple thread connected to the grenade pin that's unraveling from his jacket and it gets caught in the door as it gets shut. The bus drives off, pops the grenade, and then gas starts to come out. Thoughts on this scene? Line, it's one of my favorite character introductions ever. Come on. Like the, the way, like all of a sudden it's like, oh, he, this is the guy. This is the guy. <laughs> the complete confidence, the organization, the, like you immediately see this is someone who saw ahead 
and is willing to get his hands dirty. Mm. And then the fact that the grenade in the bank manager's mouth is just a smoke bomb. <laughs> like, like it's just like, like it's a joke. He came, he killed all of his goons and stuffed a grenade into this guy's mouth. And it's like, nope, just kidding. It's like the, it's the bang sign out of a gun. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's a better take. I always thought it was the laughing gas. Like often in other iterations of the Joker, he kills people with laughing gas, and I oh, assumed sure. that was what was going on. I like that as a joke, though. It's yeah. the it's the bang sign coming out of the gun. Gotcha. It's a <laughs> joke when people aren't looking for it. Yeah. yeah right? Yep. <laughs> uh, the one man, I'm telling you, going to another theme of sevens possibly mm-hmm. is taking a uh, a movie quote or a line from history or wisdom that someone gave you and turning it into something that it maybe isn't supposed to be used for. Mm, and yeah. when I was <laughs> a child, I don't remember what I did to get this lecture one-on-one with my dad, <laughs> but the reverend, the former Catholic priest tells me, listen, if you're going to do something that you're not supposed to do, you always do it by yourself and you don't tell a soul that you did it or else you will get caught. And as that scene was unfolding, that's all I could think of. I was, it, you know, when the first guy died, I was like, I know where this is going. Joker's <laughs> a genius. <laughs> because of that, that it's like, yeah. man, you don't, you don't tell a soul. And it, you know, to go to another mom movie, uh, Goodfellas, where he's like, well, I take the chance. And they just kill the guy, who, you know, just, mm-hmm. you don't take a chance. You kill the people that know. And that is what I just illustrated is the exact wrong use of a, of wisdom like that. Right. <laughs> Don't do that. You just twist it out. Uh, but, but that touches too. I think I have no clue the biography on Heath Ledger, but I have a hard time when I was a kid watching a sports movie or sports show and then not going out and doing it. Mm. Watching uh, as an adult. Now I still have that exact same deal where I get grandiose ideas from watching movies mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh man, I that sounds like something, a life that's I could live. <laughs> yeah. And it goes on the other side of, you know, em- embracing that. So, you know, when I think sevens hear something like that, they embrace it and run with it. Mm-hmm. And just to touch base to Heath Ledger, embracing that awful personality mm-hmm. and awful villainous attitude, which is just soul depression. And going with it. But uh, yeah, that quote just really hit me. So that, I, that was a little bit of spoiler that I, I took out on my old man. I was like, man, I, I knew where it was going because of that. <laughs> and then just the fact that it was the, you know, a joke at a time. Yeah. Because that's what I thought. I thought it was just the guy expected to die and it was a joke and he pulls out. And after, by the way, after shooting him several times, though. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And driving away. Thing that hit me here, aside from the planning side, I want to talk about the Joker and plans at another important scene in this movie, is that he is getting other people involved in an adventure, but doesn't care at all about these people. Yeah. And the there's kind of a balance there. It's like I'm getting the team of five or six guys to go rob this bank and we're all gonna be in this together. But part of the plan is eliminating them slowly. And it, and it is just all a big joke. I was able to get them to kill one another. 
this comes up a couple times in the movie where he is trying to get other people involved in the adventure and to do dastardly things. And I don't know if we could probably save it for some of those real explicit moments, but maybe to put a pin in it, getting other people involved in the chaos seems to be the big target for this character Hmm. in a handful of the scenes. I think there's two key points to that. One is getting other people involved, like you talked about. That's across the spectrum for a seven. That, you know, if I am... uh, can go to a World Series baseball game and get three tickets. I'm going to get two other tickets and then find any two other people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, and that's I'm even, going. I'm going to have a good time. You've spoken about this before. You're even a, a, a more introverted seven than is typically described. Mm-hmm. So even for you, that is involving other people in the fun is still a priority. Yeah. If you'll notice throughout the movie... He never, with the where he has the three guys say we. He says we only have one spot on the team. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, somebody yeah. else be like, "Hey, the more the merrier. Come on, <laughs> right?" right. <laughs> you know, but he's like, "No, we're we got enough." And it's it's that kind of that aspect of I have my agenda with this number of people. You know, to use the same metaphor, I wouldn't buy five World Series tickets. I got three with two spots. And for the record, if two people don't come, I'm going to the World Series by myself. The bank was going to get robbed. Yeah. And he would come up with a different plan. Yeah. Mm. And he did it with the most minimal number of people and then eliminated those people and and left those people. Let's just keep with a metaphor (laughs) instead of death and left those people behind when it was over. He left. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, the movie moves. It cuts to a garage scene. Scarecrow's there with a bunch of drug dealers. This is the scene where uh, we are introduced to the Batman. Cuts to another scene with Harvey Dent and Rachel Dawes. We're going to skip these characters just so we can really focus in. Real fast, we also have to skip the Scarecrow because he's Tommy from Peaky Blinders. So let's, (laughs) whether he's no one else besides Tommy Shelby. Was he the Scarecrow first, though? Uh, Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Ask him. Ask him later which one meant more. We We see that (laughs) Dit and Dawes have a romantic relationship. Uh, We see that Wayne and Alfred have moved out of Wayne Manor into a bunker in the middle of the city underground. We see Gordon getting warrants to search banks. And all of these are setting up all the characters in this movie. But then we cut to a hotel with a kitchen. And Gotham's most notorious bankers have assembled and they're going through a metal detector. And um, we see them all coming in and a TV is placed in the middle of them. And the setup here is important. The crime bosses are going to discuss their money. And apparently their money has been pooled and they're relying on each other. And there's a man on the TV. His name is Lau. As you're all aware, one of our deposits was stolen. A relatively small amount, 68 million. Who's stupid enough to steal from us? Two-bit whack job, wears a cheap purple suit and makeup. He's not the problem, he's a nobody. The problem is our money being tracked by the cops. Lau on the TV says that since he's overseeing the money, he says he's gonna move all of their deposits to one location. And as the money is moved, he's going to go to Hong Kong 
away from all the cops so that the money will be safe. He'll get out of town. Everybody will be fine. And then we begin hearing laughter. And the laughter is coming from the adjacent room, and it grows, and everybody begins to turn. And then here comes the Joker in his full purple suit, clown makeup. The scars are very visible. I thought my jokes were bad. Uh, one of the gangsters named Gamble says, Give me one reason why I shouldn't have my boy here pull your head off. How about a magic trick? The Joker pulls out a pencil. I'm going to make this pencil disappear. And there's a motion to one of the bodyguards to go beat the Joker up, who sidesteps the attack, takes the guy's head, slams it into the pencil. It's, it's gone. Oh, and by the way, the suit, it wasn't cheap. You ought to know you bought it. Thoughts on this introduction? We talked about jokes at the wrong place. <laughs> and here's a hilarious joke. Like him slamming. Like, it's so funny that he makes this pencil disappear by slamming some by slamming it into someone's face. Like, it's a great joke. And a completely inappropriate one. <laughs> Homicidal jokes are <laughs> yeah. common for this character, yeah? <sighs> yeah. All the uh, all the different jokers in any situation, when the moment is too tense, they have to drive it to a, a joke, to a mm. laughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and especially when they're possibly out of their element. So, whenever they enter a new scene. Mm. So here, he just came into the scene, so it would be tense anyway. But as you see, as it goes on, he gets more comfortable, mm. and the jokes, his jokes lessen and he gets more serious. And that's what happens with every joke scene everywhere. Uh, I have a phenomenal story that I I forgot (laughs) about in true seven fashion. Perfect. So have y'all heard of Demolays? Do y'all know what that is? Uh, No. It is the youth group of the Masons. Okay. Sure. So, and I had to go back and look up what exactly it was. But when I was in uh, middle school, Someone came and said, hey, you should join this. I'm in it. It's great. You, you know, again, it's youth group Masons. And now, you know, every president ever is a Mason and this and that and whatever. <laughs> and uh, I was like, all right, sounds good. And it's it's great for, I was about to go to high school. You know, it's great for college, all these things. So I was like, I'm on board. So I go and first off, you should also know one little backstory behind this backstory. I was an awful uh, Weeblow. I was not. I didn't even make it to Boy Scouts. Like sure. I just wanted a social <laughs> club to have people to hang out with, and I didn't want to do work, and I didn't want to. I just was looking for a social club. And my son right now just got his uh, second badge of something. I should know it, but <laughs> but I'm very Bobcat Bobcat badge. I'm very proud of him. Uh, so this Demolay deal, we go and I do a co- I go to a couple meetings and then I go to my initiation and. To give you some backstory of how serious these people take it, uh, the Demolays were founded by the last Grandmaster of the Knights of Templar. So it's that whole deal. So there's sure. candles, it's dark, whatever. And here's, you know, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, Enneagram 7, Joel, coming down the aisle with them doing a chant by candlelight, and I kneel down, and I tell you this is... The honest truth. No hyperbole, no dramatization. I start laughing the second he opens his mouth to start doing the <laughs> like vows and speech. 
and I'm trying my hardest. And I've got this. I've got someone vouching for me who's in his robe, and there are people there. And I start laughing, and I don't stop laughing until we have walked out the door. It probably was <laughs> ten solid minutes of me laughing and trying to hold back the laughter. And it's that is, the, I think, the biggest Joker characteristic of when when things are serious, intense, in a mm-hmm. space that sevens are not comfortable. That is when the jokes are gonna come, even mm. if it's in their own head. Yeah, uh, we I talked to y'all about this that I accidentally watched uh, uh, <laughs> the Joker. Yeah. And he's got a card that says, Hey, I laugh. It's a medical condition. I laugh and it's not representative of my feelings <laughs> that he gives sure. to people when he just starts laughing at tense situations. Yeah. Mm. And that, I'm like, that is the most seven and the most Joker of things. Yeah. And this, I forgot about the, until preparing for our conversation and watching these <laughs> movies and yeah. So I think that's that's the big thing when he that is his it it's really dark. It was a funny joke when the pencil disappeared. Right. And and he felt great about it. That's the other thing. He he knew he knocked it out of the park with that right. joke. Ta da. <laughs> and then he got comfortable and started, you know, the Luke Norsworthy, we all know. Mm. He says, you know, after after the humor, I got a lot. Yeah. And yeah, that's what the Joker showed right there. Was after that joke, he was down to business and rational thinking, and we we spoke about this off air that neither TJ or I have actually seen the new Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. But when you were watching that movie, did you type? Would you have typed uh, Phoenix as a seven portrayal of that character? Man, I yes, and part of it is you know you're watching when you're watching a movie from your you can only see the world the way you see it, mm-hmm. especially when you're looking for it. Mm-hmm. So sure. I'm looking for myself in this other human being. Mm-hmm. But it was really easy to see. And then part, part of it was his whole just making up reality, just disappearing from what was going on and making up reality. He would, mm, just, yeah. with, he would just disappear from what was in front of him. Yeah. But yeah, just the, it, it matches up with everything else. Of how he just doesn't want to feel bad anymore. Hmm. He doesn't, and he wants other, and he thinks his goal in life, uh, his role in life is to make other people feel better. Hmm. Yeah. Despite whatever his, you know, unhealthy, disdained, tainted view of better is. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, uh, Gamble, who is one of the mobsters, is angry uh, at the Joker for killing his henchmen, obviously. Let's wind the clocks back a year. These cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? Did your, your balls drop off? Hmm? You see, a guy like me. Freak. <laughs> a guy like me. Look, listen. I know why you choose to have your little. <clears throat> group therapy sessions in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman has shown Gotham your true colors, unfortunately. Dent, he's just the beginning. And and as for uh, the television's so-called plan, Batman has no jurisdiction. He'll find him and make him squeal. 
I know the squealers when I see them. And judging other people's schemes is something that also comes up frequently in this movie. And I was real curious what you would think about that. It's not judgment of a person. It's judgment of their future. It takes away, it takes out the feeling. You know, we talked earlier about honor among thieves. Mm-hmm. You have to have emotions to have honor among thieves. Right. He doesn't care. Right. And so when he can sit back and logically look at what would this person do, then it's easy to to dissect the future actions, especially of people who are going, you know, by their nature, look out for their best interests mm-hmm. and kind of plot that out. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like there's like a fair representation of like picking up some of the things that at the unhealthy side of five about seeing the bigger picture a little bit more clearly than a lot of these people do. Like, like he, he understands that there is something bigger than what they're all looking out for. And he's here to take care of the bigger problem. Mm. And to piggyback on that and something that I, I meant to throw in earlier is the chaos that everybody else sees is not chaos for him. Right. He thrives in the chaos. Yeah, that he has his vision mm-hmm. and his track of the way things should and are going to lay out. Even when the Batman foils it, then he adjusts. Like that's right. what that's what happens and you adjust your plan. Yeah. And make pivots. a new plan. Yeah. You know, again, that is the uh the calling card of a 5 and a 7. Right. Of just Hey, we're going to roll with it and leave emotions out of this and be logical and at the same time single track minded. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see this peppered throughout. I think this this is fully represented in this character in all iterations and especially in this movie. He actually openly says it, but there there's something about like what what made me realize that Joker is a seven is I I think that when unhealthy sevens move to unhealthy five they take their disconnection from emotion and the sort of looking to the next thing and they pick up some of the sort of nihilistic tendencies at five and and it just like it just amplifies it and creates this whole thing where like chaos is the goal it's 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 not just that he's comfortable in chaos it's that chaos is his goal he actually says i am an agent of chaos Mm -hmm. and i think that is one of the things that sort of marks an unhealthy seven becoming that that sort of darker side becoming the villainous version of a seven is that like nihilistic chaos is what we want i've been thinking about this quite a bit recently um there's a character in game of thrones who talking about their own strategy talks about creating chaos because chaos he says chaos is a ladder and he likes it when all the order goes out the window because then he can position himself and and get ahead because he wants to instigate those situations i'm not sure that the joker is seeking to somehow climb up anything although by the end he is saying this is my city and you all need to leave um, Real quick, which character yeah. was it in Game of Thrones? That said yeah, that? it's uh, Littlefinger little finger? says that okay. to uh, yeah, the spider at some point. Yeah. And given how things are working in our world, the idea that you would intentionally try to create chaos in order to get ahead just routinely is coming up in my heart and mind. 
aunt as one of those things that as a one, if it just throws me way off, like I need systems, they need to be sound. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, that's the big thing. What, uh, the second half of that sentence I think is incorrect when, in regards to the Joker, it's not chaos to get ahead. Agreed. It's chaos to achieve a goal. Oh, okay. Well, what's the difference? The difference, um, the butler, um, Alfred, 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 he talks about it later. He's mm-hmm. like, he yeah. kind of talks of like, you can't, there's no, there's not reason to this. Mm-hmm. You need to, you don't understand what he wants. Oh, uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that makes sense. I think that's the thing is, yeah. And what he wants isn't intelligible to anyone because it doesn't make sense, be, you know, because it's the dark side, like it doesn't, uh, jive with the natural order of, of the way humans are meant to be the way, yeah. you know, I'm not super religious, but the way God made us to be, that is mm-hmm. the dark side of us, is that other side. That's, you know, the, the dark side of the anagram is not who we actually are. We right. need to go to the other side of it. And yeah. so he, that's the other thing about sevens. In my experience, for good or bad, when they make a decision, they're going with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, not, there's not second guessing. There's not... Uh, seeking counsel later, they might seek counsel before, mm-hmm. but once the decision is made, then it's going. And so, you know, when the question came up, you know, is the Joker a seven? Mm-hmm. What would it look like if he had made at some point made another decision? He but went on a different he, direction. Exactly. But he, once he commits to a decision, he goes to it. And mm-hmm. so when, and that's the big, that's why, uh, not to get totally derailed, but, Depression and suicide amongst sevens, I think, is just a real thing mm-hmm. because yeah. of that commitment to to decisions like that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it, like the Joker is drawn out. This whole thing, he at no point is he committed to his well being, right? And his health. He, he could die at any moment. He actually gives himself up. There's where, three specific instances where it's almost like he's wishing he would die. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. And that, uh, in watching all of the different Joker movies and shows and clips that we've watched, he wants death to come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good call. So that's what. So the chaos is for the for the purpose for whatever he's trying to achieve, and he doesn't. If death happens before that, then so be it, because he is so depressed that that is a a welcome alternative to achieving his goal. Yeah, there you go. Here's that nihilistic side there at the low side of five again. Yeah. Chechen says, What do you propose? It's simple. We uh, kill the Batman. <laughs> if it's so simple, why haven't you done it already? And one of the great, I one of the few things that I really take away from the Joker is this is wisdom worth holding on to. If you're good at something, never do it for free. How much you will? Half. There's like a billion dollars, apparently, because we're going to see a a 30-foot pile of money here at the the end of the movie. You're crazy. I'm not. No, I'm not. If we don't deal with this now, soon, little uh, Gamble here won't be able to get a nickel for his grandma. Enough from the clown! Let's not blow this out of proportion. 
and he's got a, a suit full of grenades. You think you could steal from us and just walk away? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. His, his, just, I, of, yes. yes. You guys are dumb. Okay, real um, fast, just yeah. to jump in on that. And this pops up whenever you do watch uh, The Other Joker. And I heard a Seven talking about this earlier. The fact that Sevens laugh when other people are not laughing, uh-huh. and then they're serious when other people are joking. Hmm. Oh, and yeah. so, like his, so he makes the he makes a joke about the bomb. Yeah, and then we all think, you know, oh, you think it's, you can just walk away? And he's like, well, yeah, I'm, I can. That's, <laughs> yes. And he's, I have a suit this full of scene. grenades here. <laughs> exactly. Like he's just super serious and pragmatic and just, yeah. Yeah. There's also, um, I think I, it was you that I've heard talk about this, but um, like sevens have spent their whole life being charming. Like they can talk their way in and out of, of things. And so this, this moment is a great example of that. You think you can just steal us from us and walk away? Well, yes, I do think that. I've gotten away with everything that I've ever done. <laughs> That's how this works. Yeah, it's a big and and to make it even to apply it really to this situation, uh, Joey Shuey she calls it disarming. Mm. She says it's not charming; it's disarming. Uh, they, sure. That sevens disarm you. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You thinking you just steal from us and walk away? Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm, I made jokes. I came. I came in peace. We we were talking this out. Like and. The big thing, here's the big thing, if we're going to tie this all together, is what's in the past is in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, all right, your money got stolen by me, but I'm talking about the future. Right. Yeah. I'm talking about that guy. Yeah. I'm yeah. talking about we're, we're moving forward from here. You need to stop focusing on what has happened. The has fact happened. that I stole all of your money doesn't yeah. matter because Batman's actually the real problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that was just a means to this point, and right. you shouldn't be angry at me. I'm on your side. Yeah. Despite the fact that I stole six, $68 million, as we found out. <laughs> Gamble's not happy about this. I'm putting the word out. 500 grand for this clown dead. A million alive. So I can teach him some manners first. All right, so listen. Why don't you give me a call when you want to start taking things a little more seriously? Here's my card. Is, is he... Walking into this situation, I imagine there's an exhilaration of I'm walking into a room filled with very violent men and I'm and I have my plans thought through. I know how this is gonna go, and I'm just going to I'm going to have this experience. You know what I mean there? That's the of any villain in any movie that we talk about, the idea of you have nothing to lose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that they can't. That's your ultimate weapon. There's no card that they can play because you have you at truly feel like you have nothing to lose, mm-hmm. and that is uh, the most shadowy side of any human, but but of a seven, of just that point. You know that that's the way Joker lives every moment. Mm-hmm. So it's exhilarating, and that's that's the thing too that I see with him. He loves the game. For the sake of the game. He, he wants to see how it's going to play out. He wants to play his cards, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a chess match against him and these guys and the Batman and the city and the DA. And he's in it for that that head thrill. Mm-hmm. There it is. 
and he's not attached to the outcome like in that in that true nihilism sense like it's he's he's totally comfortable if he loses he just wants to play the game there is a uh, discussion on a rooftop with uh, Gordon Batman and Dent about Lao Wayne Fox and Alfred figure out a trip to Hong Kong for Wayne who runs off with the uh, Russian ballet dancers but goes and gets Lao it's a fun scene and then we come back to Gotham, and there we cut to a pool hall at night, and a bodyguard steps into the room and says to Gamble, who just threatened the Joker's life. Yo, Gamble, somebody here for you. They say they've just killed the Joker. They brought the body. And they bring in a body bag. Gamble quite confidently walks over. He says, so, dead? That's 500. And then from behind Gamble, the Joker sits up. How about a lie? Hmm? And all the bounty hunters suddenly turn, and they have got Gamble's bodyguards subdued. And then the Joker wants to tell a story. You want to know how I got these scars? My father was a drinker and a fiend. And one night, he goes off crazier than usual. Mommy gets the kitchen knife to defend herself. He doesn't like that. Not one bit so me watching he takes the knife to her laughing while he does it he turns to me and he says why so serious he comes at me with the knife why so serious he sticks the blade in my mouth let's put a smile on that face and why so serious? And Gamble goes down. Come on. Which, what do you say about this scene? So I've got a theory. Come on. That is a, uh, a if you're a writer of the Joker, if you, if you get the opportunity to write a Joker film, story, whatever, mm-hmm. that you have to hold this true. And that is that you are going to be deceptive to the audience. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I know you haven't seen it, but the other Joker at the end, it turned again, huge spoiler alert. Everyone just kind of pause this and go watch it and hmm. then come back. It turns out in the Joaquin Phoenix Joker that it was all a story mm-hmm. that he's telling his psychiatrist who, who mm-hmm. they need kills. But right. it, it was all, it was all a story. Sure. And, in this, he's got a story for how this happened and how this happened. And so I think that's part of being a writer of the Joker is, listen, mm-hmm. you have to just keep deceiving the audience on what the reality of the Joker's backstory is. We will never know, and mm-hmm. that's how it's supposed to be. The other idea I have is that it's just another metaphor of, you know, who knows how he really got the, we'll never know because of that theory that I just said, how he got right. the scars. But his dad is one of the reasons that he is the way that he is. Right. And that that story, let's say that, uh, and if we were to, if it was an anagram four watching and trying to find out why the Joker's an anagram four, it's taking part of a story that's true, but then blowing it up to something that's not. Mm-hmm. And so the story of abusive dad, threatening mom, knives, all this stuff. Oh, and he cut my face open. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like all that stuff was true except for that last part. 
And then later on, we'll hear a story with a whole lot of truth to it, except for where you went with it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's that. And for a seven, it's just that making the past fit your narrative, Hmm. especially when you're in that, uh, that, that dark side. And so think of, if we're talking about movement on the Enneagram, seven going to the low side of one, Mm -hmm. it's uh, the, the world has done this to me. (laughs) Yeah. So the, uh, the world is messing up. I tried the world. Dad though was awful. Wife didn't love me. And dad gave me this, and now I'm trying to make the best of it. So it, it's that whole displacement of anger on mm. to someone else. Yeah. Bang. You got that, Siege? I, I see also it, it seems like there's a couple of layers of, of reframing here. So, like, regardless of whether this, what amount of this story is true, here's something tragic from his past that he's now turning into a story that he can tell other people. And using it to sort of explain something that's true about now. And like there's, it's this, like, like this is the kind of story that you only tell to your therapist. But he's using it as a way to uh, not entertain, but to, to sort of bring the audience along. Mm. And like there, there is a, an amount of reframing in this. And I think that a lot of the way that he tells his stories not just about how he got the scars, but I, I think that whatever way that he's talking about himself specifically, there is a certain amount of bringing the audience along for for a purpose. And they buy into it. Right. We, I mean, we're all, you know, you hear the oh, story you go. Yeah. and you're the way he delivers it and everything. You're mm-hmm. just, you're hooked. Mm-hmm. And you, yes, he's clearly the villain. And at the same time, he's a product of his environment. Right. We should talk about that. I hadn't thought about this. Some of the great storytellers are sevens, and the uh, there's something in the heart of a seven where I want to bring people along in the adventure, and I'm doing it through the storytelling in this in this regard. So I'm I'm going to take you from here to there. It's a horrifying story, and yet, well, I think that's that's the gift of a seven is mm-hmm. you get lost in the story, and then all of a sudden you get wherever they wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. You know, he um, later when he does the retelling, he, the majority, I don't know what percentage, let's say 75% of the story is about his relationship with his wife mm-hmm. and how much yeah. he loved her and yeah. how sad it was, her condition. And that's the whole story. It's like yeah. it's like How I Met Your Mother. You know, mm-hmm. you've got yeah. nine seasons of yeah. this one plot. Oh, hey, and then this final little piece, I'm going to change it all up here at the end when yeah. you're already emotionally committed to what I've given here in, in the body. Yeah. Thing the, uh, we'll, we'll quote it later, but in the killing joke, a very, very famous Batman comic, the Joker says, if I'm going to have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. That's a, the fact that he puts it to words, you know, and that goes back to, that's the gift of not being past oriented. Mm -hmm. So it's the past can be whatever, when you don't, when you're not tied to the past and you're not tied to the present, the future can be whatever you think it's going to be. And I've been talking a lot with my mom and some other people around the Mike center and around work. And that for me as a seven, the future is, is right now. Literally the future is what I'm dealing with in the present is the future. Mm -hmm. And if I don't remember the past, then all I need is just like a piece or two of it. 
and then I can fill in the rest how I'd like it to be. Right. And that's not a conscious choice. That's just what I naturally do. Yeah. And I think that's what he does. It's like, if I'm going to have a pass, I prefer it to be multiple choice. Well, the multi, and it's not A, B, C, or D. It's A through Z and A, A through Z, Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets to choose whatever he wants it to be. Yeah. yeah. For the audience, it seems to me that one of the places of fear for a lot of us is that if we can't create an origin story for the problem, then there's an extra measure of terror going on there. If you can't explain why that kid came to school with a gun, then there's an extra measure of, I can't control this. Hmm. But if I can tell you the story of, well, the, this is what happened in his home life, or this was his friend group, and this is where he find, found the firearms, then you're like, okay, well, there's potential solutions here. And the, uh, just uh, looking at this character, and I think one of the reasons this character really endures over time is that those who hold the you know the copyrights as it were don't tell you what the origin is and it gives it that extra measure of well we can't control this you mm-hmm. know this could be anybody kind of thing you know what i mean there yeah uh, absolutely so i remember seeing this movie in uh imax in denver with my brother packed movie house and joker gets up <laughs> after killing gamble says now our operation is small, but there's a lot of potential for aggressive expansion. So which of you fine gentlemen would like to join our team? Oh, there's only one spot open right now, so we're going to have tryouts. Snaps the pool cue, throws it in the middle of the three guys on the floor. Make it fast. And I remember in a room of of a couple hundred people, I laughed really loud, <laughs> and it was only me. I thought this was so funny. That's because you were in that seven. You made the move. Yeah, I you were comfortable. You were living yeah. your life. One to seven happened. Yeah, in the thing. I love this character. I've read this character. I'm really into Batman stuff, and so I'm like, oh yeah, this is exactly it. And everybody else is just like, this is a psychopath on screen. A hilarious <laughs> psychopath, <laughs> right? Batman finds Lau in Hong Kong, brings him back, tied up to Gotham PD, cut to gangsters at lunch. They say, we're going to put the word out to hire the clown. He was right. We have to fix the real problem, which is Batman. Just before he and all of his buddies get arrested and they get taken to to court, and there's like a couple hundred of them that are apparently going to go to prison. The mayor's not happy about this. He brings in the DA. He says, hey, what's the story here? We're going we're gonna to be uh, on the hook for all of this, and you better be prepared. And then a dead Batman body slams against the window, and it's got a noose around its neck. And this is this is a great jump scare. <laughs> like, yeah. Body it hitting window. It gets me every single time I watch right? this movie. <laughs> you know I forget coming. this is happening, and it's like, uh, oh. My wife made fun of me for watching it this time. <laughs> His wife doesn't like nerd culture. <laughs> no. Not one bit. <laughs> and, and she married them though, and he's the biggest fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That it's is true. like the, mo- the most most nerd of culture. I know it's true. In 2020, she has seen your DVD collection, yeah, TJ. Yeah, she makes fun of it. <laughs> so it's a thing I live with. It's fine. I love her anyway. <laughs> That's reframing. I like it. I'm supportive. <laughs> Cut to Bruce Wayne and Alfred watching. 
TV footage on cable news, which is never a good idea. And the anchor says the images coming up are going to be disturbing. And we see a man who's in a Batman costume. His face is bruised. And uh, it's this brightly lit fluorescent room. Tell them your name. Brian Douglas. <laughs> are you the real Batman? No. 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 <laughs> then why do you dress up like him? <laughs> He's a symbol. We don't yeah. have to be afraid of scum like you. Yeah. You do, Brian. You really do. Huh? Yeah. Oh, shh, 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 So you think Batman's made Gotham a better place? Hmm? Look at me. Look at me! See, this is how crazy Batman's made Gotham. You want order in Gotham. Batman must take off his mask and turn himself in. Oh, and every day he doesn't, people will die. Starting tonight. I'm a man of my word. <laughs> These sorts of, I, man, it's like, a, what's the movie that's all single shot? Blair Witch Project? Yes. Always freak me out. Blair mm. Witch Project, sort of, the anything that looks like it's found footage, just terrify me. I remember reading a newspaper clipping when I was in sixth grade of, it was of a family, and it was, long story short, the mother sh- shot her uh, lover and child and buried their bodies. And I remember reading the newspaper and that freaked me out. It was the mm. fact that it was in a newspaper, not that it was on TV. If it was on TV, it's like, okay, well, it's fiction. This is how this works. The newspaper is what got me. And that's how, that's how this like camcorder footage. Ah! Always. No, thank you. <laughs> cut to a penthouse party. Wayne arrives by a helicopter. He's got two girls on his arms, giving a toast to Harvey Dent. And Sarah cut, with the Gotham PD finding out that the Joker is targeting the commissioner and a judge and Dent, and we see the commissioner sitting down to get a scotch because he's just too old for this, and it's poisoned. And then we see the judge getting orders to leave her home and get in a car. Car blows up. And then the arrival in the elevator of the Joker and his gang. Joker steps into the middle of everyone. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are... Tonight's entertainment. I only have one question. Where is Harvey Dent? You know, I'll settle for his loved ones. A distinguished gentleman who is actually Senator Patrick Leahy steps into Joker's path. We're not intimidated by thugs. You know, you remind me of my father. I hated my father. By the way, I had a quick question for you. He says, where is Harvey Dent? which is exactly what Bruce Wayne says when he walks into the room. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the Joker's knowledge that sometimes goes, transcends experience. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost as though the Joker is, has an almost all-knowing quality to him. He knows what's coming up. And he, know, he knows what, I mean, I, I suppose he could have the room bugged and just repeat the line. But there's a couple times where his knowledge is feels to me to be supernatural. You know what I mean there? I think in this instance, it's because he's the, uh, he's the antithesis of Batman. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you hit on something 
that they probably did intentionally that they mm-hmm. both I entered did. the room. Yep. Of, you know, where's Harvey Dent? This is for a whole another episode for y'all to do, but the possibility of Batman being a four. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea anagram wise of fours and sevens being just kind of on that opposite while they're so similar, so polar opposite. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, they're either way, their personalities just while at, at times complimenting and other times being just so polar opposite. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they share lines like that and uh, certain mentalities. Yeah. But so extreme. Uh, you know, Batman does nothing in the middle. He is either walking in with three Playboy bunnies or he's the freaking Batman. Right. right. And whereas the Joker is always the extreme on one way. Mm-hmm. I agree with what you're saying, Jeff, about him having like like there is a lot of clear like this guy has thought about what's going to happen. Like he is very forward thinking a lot. And we've talked a lot about like he always seems like he's 12 steps ahead. But I think this particular instance is specifically for the purpose of helping draw a line from Batman to Joker. Like like we mm. should see them as opposites or as um you're a like, freak like me. Yeah, and and the, there there is a certain amount of them being like the, the antithesis of each other. Like yeah, like Joker wouldn't have risen to where he is without Batman showing up first. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and if we want to take it to the next level of the third character of Two Face, mm-hmm. and the idea of it being a coin flip, mm-hmm. and which way you know at any point like we talked about earlier. Could Batman have chosen the Joker route or Joker have chosen the Batman route sure. and gone that way Yeah, but it, in the trauma in their lives? Mm, but yeah. instead they chose the way that they went. And both, you know, Joker, as we said, as a seven, you know, committing to it. <laughs> and yeah. as, as we talk about later, not taking help to go the other way. Like, no, yeah. I've committed to this, this way. And right. I have to do it, and I cannot expect help from somebody else or take it. If we get to the killing joke, that's the big line in that is all it takes is one bad day, and it does. It sends you on your trajectory, and mm-hmm. how do you how you wrestle with that? Ah. Puts a blade in his mouth. Rachel Dawes, for some reason, decides to be the only one in the room to speak up. Okay, stop. Well, hello, beautiful. You must be Harvey's squeeze. And you are beautiful. Well, you look nervous. Is it the scars? You want to know how I got them? So I had a wife. She was beautiful. Like you. Who tells me I worry too much? Who tells me I ought to smile more? Who gambles and gets in deep with the sharks? One day they carve her face. We have no money for surgeries. She can't take it. I just want to see her smile again. Hmm? I just want her to know that I don't care about the scars. So, I stick a razor in my mouth and do this to myself. And you know what? She can't stand the sight of me. She leaves. Now I see the funny side. 
Now I'm always smiling. She slugs him in the gut. He smiles. <laughs> A little fight in you. I like that. Any thoughts on this? So what's great about this second story is the second story starts and we know, oh, he's making all this up each time. And we've already talked about how that, that kind of works with the first, we, we jumped ahead. <laughs> but if you hadn't, if you didn't know anything about this character before, you thought that first story was true. Yeah. He's just given exposition. Yeah. This yeah. isn't exposition at all. This is showcase. This is showing, not telling, that this man is psychotic. Well, and the thing that caught me in this retelling that I'm not sure from the first one if I can find what part of it. All right, so what is the sliver of truth? Yep. Okay. So if the wife is into loan sharks, which is the mob, you know, and mob, is that the revenge that he's getting? Like, okay, so is that the the truth that's connecting to the actual real story hmm. is that mob connection there. And what's the, you know, where is the truth in, in the story? So you all both think that there's, there's something here that he is trying to get out, but he's not, he's, he's got a kernel and then he starts um, making other things up. That's, that's what I think. And I, I would also say, um, I think that he's telling a story, uh, I love the idea of the that this is part of his story and part of it is not true, but but part of it is real um, because I think that he's telling the story to gamble as like recognizing someone who probably had a bad relationship with his father, and he's telling mm. a story to Rachel. Yes, yeah, about how much he loved his wife. Like he's he's fitting the story to the person he's telling it to, and like. Like he started talking to apparently Patrick Leahy uh, about how much he hated his father. Yeah. Like, like the story seems to fit w- where he's telling it. Yep. And it's, uh, I think the, the anchor is the scars on his face. Mm-hmm. So uh, do y'all know what pyloric stenosis is? Mm-mm. No. It's a very rare thing that few, very few kids are born with. I don't even fully understand it, but I had it, and I've got a scar somewhere on my lower stomach area. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Ferrell has the same scar, for the record. Come on, I don't okay. know if he's a seven, but <laughs> and I've I've literally only met one other human being who had it. You have you either die or get the surgery as an infant. Hmm. So when you've got a scar, you can kind of make up wherever you are, what store you. Want. I always did it just for fun. Yeah. yeah, but if I was somewhere and be like, oh, you know, at Saint Volleyball, how'd you get the scar? Well, yeah. let's see what story I can tell about this. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, if if I cared, to, if we were going to talk and hang out longer, tell them the truth. But whatever story. And I think that's what we're kind of t- touching to is that the uh, the home base is that his scars. And then he can take that story wherever he wants to take it to. Mm-hmm. So the scars are always there and he can do what he wants with it. Yeah. They're unavoidable, too. And he obviously points out that she looks nervous. Obviously, he's got a gun and henchman and has just come in and started shooting up the place. So there, there's reason to be terrified. But he is self... not. Is it that being self-conscious? He's aware that when people look at him for years and years and years, the first thing that they're going to see is that his mouth is all scarred up. Well, what do you think about the fact that he accentuates the scars with the makeup? 
I would imagine that that if he's a seven and you want to read into it, that he is overdoing it, then, you know, he's pushing further into it and making it one big, you know, one big joke. If you can make it bigger, and that goes back to the the scar stories. Yeah. If you can make it bigger than what the what really, what yeah. the true story was, make it yeah. bigger and more dramatic, mm-hmm. it'll be true. less hurtful. Yeah. That's where it is. The true story is going to be a place of grief and trauma and yeah. hardship. Yeah. yeah. And and like notice that he like he accentuates it with the makeup and he never waits for someone to ask him. It's always yes. do you want to know how I got my scars? He initiates that conversation. Is that about control? Is that about something else? It's a I mean, it is by itself 100% controlling the narrative. Mhm. Mhm. And it's his, you know, it shows where where his focus is. He doesn't want to be on the negative side of emotion. I'm going to push into the positive side of emotion. And it's it's not control, I imagine, like a body type. But it would be, I'm going to move everything into the space where I feel the most comfortable before anyone else has an opportunity to, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Well, and and leaning into the the idea of, of wanting to make sure you don't get stuck like i had a i had a friend in high school that had a birthmark that made half of his face red and and one of the things that he he talked about was that like like this is this is how he enters the room and this mm-hmm. is like this is the thing that that everyone sort of doesn't want to talk about mm-hmm. it's so jimmy from south park yeah He's stuck in that reality until he takes control and pushes out of it. So in in this idea, if if you if you have giant scars on your face and you know that that's how you're how people are going to see you, the only way to move past that is to be the first one to deal with it. Or I mean, it reveals type on that front. If you're a particular race in a room full of people who are of a different race and you're and you are aware of this, how are, and similar to the birthmark, what is your first play? I imagine that your type, how you see the world, what you think other people see of you and how you navigate, it's going to come out. I mean, we I don't know why I brought up race, but there's because there's all sorts of different ways that we could think about this when you find yourself hyper distinct from the rest of the room. Mm-hmm. I suppose with Nicholson's bat, uh, with Nicholson's Joker, he's trying to get everybody else to be scarred like he is. Misery loves company. Mm. It's because he's an artist. It's easy. <laughs> well, and also, not, I mean, I don't know how many more pop culture references I'll make, but, you know, the the office and Michael, when Michael Scott falls into the koi pond yeah. and mm-hmm. Jim is like, listen, man, just own it and lean into it. Yeah. And kind of make fun of yourself first, and then no one will make fun of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of the Joker's angle at this. Mm-hmm. It's like, listen, when I enter the room, let's go ahead and talk about the scars on my face. Yep. And then get to my agenda. Yeah. yeah. See, this would be, I mean, so as a one, what I always do with things that I know are negatives is I bring them up first verbally. So I recognize this thing is a negative. Just so everybody knows, I know that this thing is Negative. How do you want other people to feel about it, though? Like, that's the that's the big thing that I relate to the Joker about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that his mentality is, 
He, there's a difference between excess and seven and moving somewhere else on the Enneagram. He has made a move if he mm-hmm. is a seven. Excess and seven is, is in the rear view window. Uh, and now he's made a move and his intent is on other people and it's outwardly focused. Yeah. So for good or bad. And he wants other. So now it's, I want to look at other people and change them, change the world around me. Whereas I think a seven in their own natural skin is like the world can be what it, what it is and I'll navigate it however I navigate it. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think a want. So to, Go back to this hypothetical. Yep. A one says, I'm going to go in. You said that you're going to go in. You're going to kind of point out what's wrong from the jump to make you feel better, though. Yep. And a seven is doing it for both ways. Yep. Like to make it, hey, you you don't need to feel uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. If one of us is uncomfortable, then it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So let's just get it out there and then have a good old time. And that's the whole purpose of saying, of hey, you want to hear about the scars? Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm Jimmy on South Park. You want to hear about my paralysis? And yeah. My, yeah. I mean, that let's get it out of the way so that we can have a good time. Right. Solid. Which and goes back to, for um, last thing. Which goes back to yeah. why the anagram is about motivation. Right. Because yeah. we do the exact same thing. Go yeah. in and say, "Hey, let's point out the obvious here, but for completely different reasons." Yep. There it is. Joker turns, blows a hole in the. Glass window of a high rise and From drops a Batman's girl behind. He just behind. shoots behind him. Because <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah, that's. I love that you guys picked up on that. She goes out. Batman goes after. Uh, she slides down. There's something to do with the laws of physics here, and and they survive the 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 fall. That was really confusing, right? He has armor. <laughs> he didn't even jump to shoot, pull a shoot. I mean, just. Is that what it is? It's armor. And he, he didn't. Armor. She didn't land on top of him. Yes, like, she did. did okay. Yeah. When it cut to them, I felt like she was on the side. I don't know. The uh, anyway, Batman saves her. <laughs> yeah. They defied the laws of physics. After that's right. Well, so okay. So here's a theory on this. My my philosophy or religion side pops up at this point where. It seems to me I, we hinted that the the Joker has this all knowing side to him. Batman seemed to have this all powerful side to him. Hmm. That and here's what I actually think is going on in in the movie. The Joker knows everything, but he doesn't know who Bruce Wayne is, and that's the pursuit. Or he doesn't know who Batman is. The one thing he wants is to know who Batman is. We want you to take off your mask and show us all who you are. Batman's all powerful. The one thing he can't do is defeat the Joker. Hmm. And there's there's kind of, there's a, we have the ultimate amount of power and it comes into conflict. Notice this. Those are divine attributes. The one that's missing is being all good. And that's who Harvey Dent is. He's hmm. all good through the whole thing until he gets turned. And there's, those attributes are, are at play here. And really they're fighting over the soul of the city. Um, you have an all-knowing being, an all-powerful be- being, and they are fighting for the heart, soul of Gotham, which I think is just a fantastic. You know, as we get into it, I, I, I'm not a big fan of of action films that just come down to hero versus villain in a fist fight, and the hero wins. Here, it's hero and villain are watching to see will the people 
make a good decision. Hmm. And that that's much more like real life, one. And two, it, it's, I find that far more interesting, and especially how they play it out with the boat scene, yeah. which we'll get to. Cut to the Bat Bunker. We'll call it the Bat Bunker. They're talking about the Joker, but the Joker's not in it, but, so we should, but we, we should talk about it. Wayne is watching videos of the Joker, and he says, Targeting me won't get their money back. I knew the mob wouldn't go down without a fight, but this is different. They've crossed the line. You crossed the line first, so you squeezed them, you hammered them to the point of desperation. And in their desperation, they turned to a man they didn't fully understand. Criminals aren't complicated, Alfred. We just need to figure out what he's after. With respect, Master Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either. A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport, because some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Tell me about the low side of seven, y'all. Man, I think... So when I watched that scene, I saw it more about Batman, that it wasn't about... It, was, oh. it wasn't a scene about the Joker. Okay. The, you know, we're talking about the anagram and the centers of intelligence. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I think, <laughs> that... The Batman is a feeler and then a doer. Okay. And the thinking comes last. And so whenever there's, you know, that's how all of his plots unfold. In every epic Batman thing, he's got these strong feelings. And then he does, and he reacts. Mm -hmm. And then, and that goes awful for the middle of the film. And then he thinks about it. And Mm -hmm. then he makes a better plan than what his feeling and doing does. Yeah, there's Uh, a trajectory change going on here. Yeah, and exactly. And so this, you know, Alfred being the the sage of the series mm-hmm. is he's not talking to him about I feel like he's not talking about Joker as much as he's trying to explain to Bruce like you are taking the wrong angle at this. Mhm. Yeah. He this is not you think that he is like the mob that he is like all these other thugs like there is the stuff and you don't understand him. You so, think criminals and, are easy to understand. This guy is it, not a normal criminal. Exactly. Yeah. And so I so I think I feel like the focus of his story is on Bruce, not on the Joker. Hmm. Mm. Because the because Bruce was again, we think that he's talking about the uh the guy who's giving the rubies away. But it was about all the people trying to find the rubies. Like those Bruce, do you see that you are these people who just kept spinning their wheels and couldn't yeah. find them? Mm. TJ? Uh, first, I want to say, if if your assessment of Batman is true, that he feels and then does something and thinks about it later, that makes him a two. Uh, <laughs> which we could talk well, about it, that later. If, if, if ever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, 
I have not thought about that take. So prior to three minutes ago, uh, I I really took this as a um, like leaning heavily into the idea of that nihilism, like Joker. If we're we're seeing Joker as the same kind of person as what Alfred is describing here, then we're we're looking at someone who wants who is an agent of chaos who wants mm-hmm. to sow chaos that is his aim and like he might be doing it for his for other reasons inside but but stop trying to think about like he's not after money he's not after a claim he's not after control what he wants is is for everything to be chaos he wants everything to burn and that's that like if if you're trying to figure out what his motive is then then you're you've already missed the point. Is there gluttony taking place here? We haven't mentioned a, sure. uh, the sin that's associated with sevens, but the I'm, I long for more and more destruction. It, like gluttony can have anything as its target. You could be collecting goldfish, but this man wants to destroy more and more and more. And there's a voraciousness there. Well, what if we in this instance? use the word excessiveness. Hmm. Yeah. Because I think that is synonymous with gluttony. <laughs> and he, the Joker, is excessive in everything that he does. Yeah. He doesn't ever shoot a person once. Look at all the clips that we watched. Yeah. He fires the whole clip into him. Yeah. He's extreme in everything that he does. That's a good point. So there there are some folks who come across as sages, as wise, who do want to say, somebody like the Buddha who wants to say, hey, everything is going to fade away. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes, you know, it's, it's all wind. It's all vapor. They're not taking it to excess where they're burning a human being on top of a, a pile of a billion dollars, you know? Yep. Is it that there, there's... Ha, the the truth might be there, and yet it's the it's the excessive posture. Mm-hmm. Very theatrical. Theatrical. If, it, <laughs> if it's if it's worth doing, then do it big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if not, you know that's the everyday unhealthy side of me is to shoot the three and call game while it's midair. Well, and you know, and if it misses, it doesn't matter. But if you make it, you look like a total badass. <laughs> And and apply that to anything, cornhole or, you know, making dinner in the middle of dinner. This is going to be, this dinner is going to rock your world. And then if it comes out, it's average. All right. Well, no one's ever going to say anything. Right. But if it did just totally crush, then look at you. And it's, it's all about, and that's what it is for him. It's all about his excessive, uh, over the top predictions and behavior throughout the, throughout every action. Yeah. Yeah. When, when they're emptying his coat, when he gets arrested, it's not, it's not a couple of knives. It's like 75 knives. Yes. When with, knives. A, with a potato ah. peeler in there. Yeah. Well, yeah. All, <laughs> and all different kinds with the, when he, um, when he has the grenades, when he first meets the mobsters in the kitchen, like mm-hmm. it's not one grenade which would kill all of them. It's like nine grenades in his jacket, yep. and he's ready to pull the pin on all of them. Then that's and, what you know. He he used that one phrase: "Anything that you're good at, don't do it for free." You know, mm-hmm. anything worth doing is worth doing right. 
you know, <laughs> like let's let's do it to the full extent. Go big or let's, go uh, home. Exactly. Yeah. Harvey Dent and Rachel Dawes will be surrounded not by a couple of gallons of gasoline, but there's at least 40 yeah. <laughs> of those barrels or whatever. Yeah. Um, Another possibility, Batman could be a three in that logic with feeling and doing. Okay. Sure. We have to type some Batman. We're going to do the hero um, series. Uh, we'll do that. If we survive the villains, we, no, we will I'm thinking about that just heroes. because you know, with the feeling and the doing, and then some thinking, but then finally bringing up his own feelings in the end of it with yeah. Rachel and whatnot, yeah. because he's been feeling other people's feelings of the city, and ah, uh, yeah, all right, all right, here we go. <laughs> I type everybody as a one, so so don't ask me about Batman. But he's the meticulous. Next- the the next move uh, in the in the movie this is this becomes kind of complicated. The mayor is the next target. Joker kills two men with the last names Harvey and Dent. Batman, through a series of detective maneuvers, figures out where the apartment that he's supposed to go is. He goes there. It's overlooking the commissioner's funeral, and there are men tied up who were part of the uh, honor guard. Long story short, Commissioner Gordon dies. And uh, the Joker's on on the run, and we have this moment where Batman finally realizes after his interactions with Dent that he needs to turn himself in because things just aren't going well. And so he has a conversation with Alfred. This is just to pull away from the Joker for a minute because this is central to the movie. Wayne says to Alfred, people are dying. What would you have me do? And Alfred says, endure, Master Wayne. Take it. They will hate you for it, but that's the point with Batman. He can be the outcast. He can make the choice nobody else can make. He can make the right choice. And that's how the movie's going to end. And it's kind of teasing this. You're smiling. What are you thinking? I just, now I'm feeling more confident about my Enneagram <laughs> 3 assessment of Batman. <laughs> Taking his feelings and setting them aside. So. And being what what people need him to be, Everyone need him yeah. to be, and yeah, and doing mm. it until he just finally can't. And you got and the feelings of his own feelings are coming up. So, anyway, sorry. That's perfect. <laughs> well, at the press conference, Dent stands up to announce that Batman's going to be revealed, and then he says, "I'm the Batman." The cops take him away. Rachel comes to him, talks to him as he's going. They both know that the Joker is going to come after him, and they both acknowledge that he's actually bait, which is going to be real important for Lair. Uh, he's bait. Denton flips his lucky coin to Dawes, and then everything is set at this moment for 20 minutes of comic book glory. Hmm. This is the best 20 minutes in all of comic book film lore. The downtown chase, the interrogation, and the prison break. Mm-hmm. which are very difficult to talk about in terms of comic book typing because it's just all action. Oh, my gosh. It's so ridiculous. Um, but perhaps we could just talk about the downtown chase. You've seen the movie if you've gotten this far in the podcast. Anything we're saying about the Joker in the movement from pulling up in a truck that says laughter is the best medicine with a S painted before laughter so that it's slaughter. What to, a great joke. <laughs> it's a great joke. <laughs> and it's simple. Yep. Anything prior to the truck flipping, anything we're saying about the Joker here? Well, you talked about excess before, and he has uh, a, a, an automatic handgun that he shoots at the truck. Yes. And then he gets a shotgun <laughs> that he shoots at the truck. 
And then... What is that, a bazooka? What kid doesn't want a bazooka when they're Dude, like 10? And you, knew, you knew it was coming the second that the uh, passenger said, or the guy in the back was like, they're going to need something a lot bigger. To, <laughs> yeah. You knew oh, you are like, excellent, what's about to come? something bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The only other thing that stands out to me is on the excess, I don't know if this is excess, but it's terrifying, is you know that chaos is in control when the fire truck is on fire. From it's a the great jump. symbol. And, and yeah, the um it's it's a joke and also like right. very intentionally like everything is out of control. The only thing that could have been more of a joke is if it had been tires and a dumpster all on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was yeah. the only thing that could have gone over the top of a fire truck being on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So absurd. When Batman is finally revealed to the Joker, the very first time they see each other, comes around the corner, the wheels are doing that that thing that everybody went, oh, I got to rewind that at least 12 times. And the Joker says, now there's a Batman. <laughs> it's just, this is, that's motive for me. Like, this is something really core that he has worked for weeks, months, who knows how long, for this moment. Now the confrontation's going to happen. Batman starts driving towards him, and he goes, Oh, you want to play? Come on. Which, which I imagine that's about the best thing that Seven can say, is some somebody else is initiating the game. It's like, oh, you want to play? Thoughts on this? Well, I just, like I said, this is another instance where he is okay with dying. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Where he... Like you, you, the way you just said it was he has finally met the Batman. Mm-hmm. Like he has finally brought him out to him. He is the focal point, the Batman who has been, you know, the mob didn't make him the, neither the mob nor Batman took him serious in the beginning. The mob took him serious, made him their focal point instead of Batman. Then finally Batman has taken him serious and made him his focal point. And now he has everyone's attention and you know, if Batman runs him over right there, yeah. like that's what it, then there we are. Yeah. And There's, Batman chooses not to. And so then do you almost see his look of disappointment when he turns around to walk over to the Batman after the Batman doesn't, doesn't run him over? Yeah. He looks disappointed. Come on, come on. I want you to do it. I want you to do it. Come on, hit me. Come on, hit me. Come on, hit me. Oh! And like dips his head, reaches for another clip in his pocket, mm-hmm. and he's just bummed out that the Batman didn't run him over. Yeah. And so now he so now he has to keep playing the game. This is all just a big suicide mission. Mm-hmm. And so now he has to keep doing it. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that in terms of this is this is another through line for this character through the comics and the rest, that he is trying his best to provoke Batman to break his one rule which Batman never breaks, and that's what's fun. He, he's not going to break this rule. The rule is I won't kill anyone. So it's like, what can I do to get this person to try and kill me? I will beat his student to death with a crowbar, and, it, and he still won't kill me. Yeah. I, and and in this, this takes place in a handful of these stories where it's like I'm doing the worst possible things, and it, and. I suppose the movie ends that way. You're tr- he, the ledger says you're truly incorruptible, aren't you? Eh, that's good. Yeah. 
uh, not to diminish the importance of that thought, but um, I also want to draw attention to uh, when he, the tumbler sort of smashes mm-hmm. the, the truck and uh, the driver is killed. So the Joker comes out and like, pushes the driver out and says i want to drive and then he's like he's having fun (laughs) like he says i this is this is a line of work i could get into yeah 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 yeah. it was really interesting um and then when he is like the the truck flips over which is in my opinion one of the greatest special effects moments yeah, it's not it's not a special effect moment. They flipped a semi in the middle of an <laughs> avenue in Chicago, and like that, it's just one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen in a movie ever. Um, but he gets out, and he's sort of like he's still having fun because he's still alive, um, and he's just standing there waiting for for Batman to gun him down. And there's a clear, very clear parallel drawn here from when Jack Nicholson is standing in the middle of the street waiting for Michael Keaton to oh, shoot I him I missed down. that. You're exactly right. Yeah. Brings out the excessively long pistol. Yeah, and one <laughs> shot takes down the bat plane. <laughs> That's so yeah. good. I, I read that as a, this is a western. It's not at noon, it's at midnight. They're gonna have a they're gonna have a gunfight in the, in the city streets. He wants Batman to kill him, he, right? which will serve two purposes. I think, like it will, it will not only end himself, but it will also completely corrupt the Batman. Yeah, which is what he wants. Yeah, well, wait, well, I think more than that, he wants to be right. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Well, you know, to say it'll serve the purpose of corrupting the Batman uh, externalizes it, mm-hmm. but it's not about Batman. It's about the Joker being right. He wants to be right. If he were to, if Batman were to kill him, his last thought, his last breath would be like, "Yes, I was right." Yeah, yeah. Not, not. Oh, he was corruptible. It's about the Joker. It's not about the Batman. Hmm. Yeah, he's right about everything burning. He's what is he right about? Just, just right about it. I think it's the um, everyone has the thing that will push him over. Mm-hmm. And that's his whole that's his whole mission that he yeah. goes on in every in that's the right. killing joke. That's his yep. whole mission. Yep. And so for him to be right is what is what matters. Mm-hmm. Not that Batman did it and broke, but that Joker is right. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's one of the last lines is what what were you hoping to prove that deep down we're all as ugly as you, mm-hmm. but you're alone. Yeah, ah. we'll talk about that in a minute. The um. Well, he gets arrested, clearly, going to prison, because uh, we didn't see this, but Gordon was actually the one driving the truck. And, the first time uh, you see that, I thought it was going to be Joker. Uh, yeah. It was that another was thing. Played well, yeah. Yeah, where they, the guy got in the car, said something to him, and he didn't reply. Ah. And so you knew and he's something the only, was up. He's the only SWAT person you can't see his face. Yeah. So that's definitely going to be someone associated with the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was Gordon. That was, a, that was a surprise. That was a good play. Well done, Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Whoever that actor is who's like right along for the ride, he does a great job taking all the attention off the driver because I didn't think that. I, I was not. Uh, I didn't get there. Um, mayor comes into the jail. What do we got? Gordon says, Nothing. 
No matches on prints, DNA, dental. Clothing is custom, no labels. Nothing in his pockets but knives and lint. No name, no other alias. I like this as a image of sevens fleeing from their past. Like, there's nothing in my past here. I talked recently on the Enneagram journey. I don't remember. It might, it might not even be out yet. But about the greatness of having a clean slate for a seven. Mm. Just how there's, there's nothing better. I, uh, to give two examples of yeah. unhealthy seven life, that's one of the reasons why I'm so happy to be a part of this. If I've been on the other side and continue at times to be on the other side of the health of seven. Uh, and on the villainous side and thoughts and times. And I uh, had the opportunity to go to jail and come out with somewhat of a clean slate in areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been divorced and remarried. And you get it. That, that clean slate mm. is just the biggest breath of fresh air that someone can give you. And so to be, to still, I don't know what it's like to still be in the unhealthy dark shadow side and get a clean slate. But I think it illustrates what it is. Then, all right, well, prepare to go further down. But when you do get that clean slate as a seven, oh, it is just the best. And I think the Joker thought that too. I was like, all right. And there, there, I imagine there would be a real difference here in terms of there's a healthy way to deal with your past as a seven and move forward honestly, correctly, humbly. And then there's the way that I imagine he is, which is going a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. Well, if you were, I mean, all right, so not to make it a, a topic of recovery, but let's just apply it to everyone. If yeah. you have gotten to a point where you need a clean slate, you made a string of bad choices. Mm-hmm. That you were addicted to something, or else you wouldn't be at a point where you need a clean slate. Mm-hmm. Like you took something too excess, too far, where you were out of control and it controlled you. Mm-hmm. So the first part of that is admitting that you have a problem with whatever it was. Mm-hmm. The Joker makes no such uh, admission. Yeah, right there it is. And other people hope either other people some do make that admission. That wow, what uh, what got me here? That I that I need a clean slate, or I have this opportunity, and other people, such as the Joker, still put the blame on society, on other people, are still focused on whatever it is that they're trying to attain, mm-hmm. and go further and further down. Ooh. And it's it's a complete divorce from his past. Yeah, like like not just a clean slate, but like we've talked about how uh, sevens are are future focused and and not thinking about the past. Like this is a total separation from the past. There is no person before the Joker for him. And I I would wonder even, I feel like this this is stated, but not in really clear ways. But it seems like the person that we see as as portrayed by Heath Ledger as as the Joker, like this person came into being when Batman did. So like whoever he was before, like now he finally found his true purpose, like his his real identity, and and the person that existed before the Batman existed doesn't anymore. I think that's the magic of the of comics, mm-hmm. yeah, and the philosophy that they are that they are trying to share. You know, we've talked about the 
good versus evil and just the complete and total balance. Mm-hmm. As long as Joker's alive, Batman will exist. Right. When Batman kills Joker, then now Batman no longer is Batman. Right. And they just this whole complete balance and, and battle. And like you talked about earlier, Jeff, about when they, when the decision, you know, they try to put the decision on other people mm-hmm. because they can't, you know, he can't get him to decide, well, uh, let's get it outside of the two of us. And it just never will be that. It's just that constant, constant warring within, I mean, honestly, within, within a, a person and within ideals and dualistic thinking. Yeah. Joker gets moved into an interrogation room after uh, a plotting for com- Gordon taking over the commissioner's vacated space because... Because the Joker killed the commissioner, and now they need a new commissioner. Plus, it's Commissioner Gordon. Right. Hey, be in origin. Evening, Commissioner. Harvey Dent never made it home. Says Gordon. Of course not. What have you done with him? Me? I was right here. Who did you leave him with? Hmm? Your people? Assuming, of course, that they are still your people and not Maroni's. Does it depress you, Commissioner, to know just how alone you really are? Does it make you feel responsible for Harvey Dent's current predicament? There feels like a tormenting that's going on here. He has real power here, and he's choosing to, to really push into some, some wounds. And well, I think it's because he's trying. He wants other people to feel like him. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, a, like a that's the whole purpose. Here. That's the whole purpose of it. Yeah, talk to talk about this. I I hadn't noted that as a major theme, but the desire to make people feel the same way he does. What's going on there? I think if we take the let's take the healthy seven of yeah. I want to be happy and feel good, and I want the world to feel happy and oh. feel good. Well, if we're going to go to the villain side of it is I feel awful and alone and sad. Do you feel awful and alone and sad? Yeah. And and if so, then feel awful and alone and sad. Let's hear about it. That's it. That's great. That's a good call. Gordon, where is he? What's the time? What difference does that make? Well, depending on the time, he may be in one spot or several. Another joke. <laughs> That's right. Gordon stands, and I thought that one was funny. Gordon <laughs> stands and moves to the Joker and does his handcuffs. If we're going to play games, mm. I'm going to need a cup of coffee. Ah, the good cop, bad cop routine? Not exactly. Flips on the lights, Batman's behind him. Joker's face, table, Batman's in front of him. Never start with the head. The victim gets all fuzzy. He can't feel the neck. Batman instead punches his hands. See? You wanted me. Here I am. I wanted to see what you'd do. And you didn't disappoint. You let five people die. Then you let Dent take your place. Even to a guy like me, that's cold. Very judgmental here in, ter- in terms of wanting him to do wicked things like you were saying. And also wanting to, him to feel bad about the deaths that he actually perpetrated. 
it's it's again that projection. Does the is it the case that the Joker feels bad about his past actions and wants other people to feel bad about their present their their actions then as well? I think he's trying to even the playing field. Yeah. Just again, it's right. if the whole this is the first notch of come down. Hey, you haven't killed me yet, but you've let five people die. You yeah. let someone else take your place and take a bullet for you. Like it's just it's not a he's he's thinking it through that I can't get him just to jump from grace to murdering me. Mm-hmm. How do, can I bring him down? That's good. Worst end. Those mob fools want you gone so they can get back to the way things were. But I know the truth. There's no going back. You've changed things forever. And why do you want to kill me? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, 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 you, you complete me. One, this is hilarious in terms of the J- the Jerry Maguire reference, but two, there's, he's got a new toy to play with. Yeah. Well, I think he finally gets to play with it. Yeah. It's a toy that he's seen in the window that he's never been able to get to play with. And now it's in front of him. It's in and the room. Yeah. He's got his hands all <laughs> over it. And he is wind, he's trying his best to wind that toy up. And, and it's a toy that gives him the opportunity for endless enjoyment. There it is. Yeah. Like, like Especially it, from his perspective. Because yeah. he has no intention of ever killing him. Right. Yeah. He'll and never he, kill Batman. He'll, he'll just like hit Batman's existence means that he can do whatever he wants now because the worst thing that can happen to him is that Batman kills him, which yeah. he's fine with. Which he secretly well, won. Right. Yeah, which he desires even. Yeah. There's no there's no lose. Yep. He's always going to be able to escape prison, yeah. and he's always going to be able to create these crazy scenarios. You're garbage. You kills for money. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now. But when they don't, they'll cast you out. Like a leper. See, their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. We've dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. Perhaps we should do a, an experiment and see if that actually takes place. Hmm. I like that part, don't talk like one of them, you're not, even if you'd like to be. Yeah. I think that's the one that shows a lot about who Joker thinks he is. Mm. Mm-hmm. Two, about a level of mutual or respect that he has for Batman. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And then three, also, that's kind of in all the, in any Joker thing that you see, the people, especially origin stories and stuff, making fun of him. Yeah, right. And so when Batman calls him a name, he's like, no, you don't need to do that. All right, don't, you're Batman, I'm the Joker, you don't need to call me a name. Yeah, we're we're both freaks. Yeah, don't do it's that. not, yeah. no, that's, it's kind of like a, I forget when I when or where I heard this, but it was kind of like the lesson that you learn that people who make fun of other people, it's because they're simple. Hmm. Yeah. And so when Batman calls him garbage, it's like, don't, don't be simple. 
Yeah. You're better. You're better. We, you and I are better than that. Yeah. Our jokes are better. Are there any character, are there any people in, in Bruce Wayne's life that he has intimacy with? Lost his parents. All of these girls are brought in, discarded. All the people that he encounters in government, he's clearly superior than. There's, there, there are th only three people I can think of that he has intimate relationships with, and that's Dawes, Alfred, and Fox. Yeah. Joker, in this one sentence, places himself in that circle of, I get you, I understand who you are. That would be un an unsettling on one, on one side because this is a different type of person, right? And like Alfred. Go ahead. I was say, and all four of those individuals want yeah. him to be something. Yes, there it is. They're, they're all prescribing. Well, talk about that as a seven. That's a big thing for a seven in terms of other people telling you who you should be. The expectations. I think that, you know, we didn't talk about it, but his conversation with Alfred, or we did talk about it some, Alfred in the bunker. Mm -hmm. And and every conversation that he ever has with Alfred and with Dawes uh, and with mm -hmm. Fox, for that matter, at different times. Fox eventually mm -hmm. just kind of is like, you know what? I'm along for the ride and I'll be a part of this. Mm -hmm. But Alfred and Dawes on a more personal level, and then Joker, yep. of you know when he talks, they never say I understand that, and those you know I understand how you're feeling, and that's okay to feel that way. <laughs> They're never his good therapist. Right. They always say, "Listen, here's what I need from you. Here's what people need from you. Here's what the city needs from you. Here's what Batman should be. Here's who Bruce Wayne should be." Yep. And so then now he's got the Joker. Doing the exact same thing of hey here's I know I know who you are no, I don't know you're Bruce Wayne but I know who Batman is mm -hmm. and here's the expectation and so it's just another person pulling him another way except it's just completely different than the other three that you mentioned but on an equally intimate level I believe because those other three aren't in the trenches that's not a you know this isn't political this isn't the life that we've had up to this point. This is the other side, you know, we talked about the genius of having Two-Face be the other character. Yeah. This is the other side of the coin now that he's a part of. Yeah. Joker's going to be successful at getting Harvey Dent to go on a very destructive adventure. But that's the invitation here, yeah? It's, I want... Yeah, and I think Joker's disappointed almost. Yeah. I, th I feel like Joker... Frustrated it, idealist? It's, it's the consolation prize. I don't. All right, I got Harvey Dent. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I. Sure. You know when you're you're aiming for the blue ribbon of flipping mm. Batman, but instead you get Harvey Dent. It's like, okay, it's not gonna, satisfied. Gonna yeah. use I'll Harvey run with Dent, this, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Harvey Dent will will be another tool in my toolbox to try and get this guy to turn. Well, yeah. That that's a way to reframe. Uh, a loss, yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> it's not being satisfied with that trophy as a seven. So you're not satisfied and then you reframe it and okay, but I can use it to keep going after this other thing. Mm. That's man. That's, that's a dark days for a seven coming ahead. <laughs> Joker straightens up. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. <laughs> Where's Dent? I have all these rules, and you think they'll save you. 
There's something about moving away from his one side. Like the one side's going to have a lot of rules and stress. He's not going to live in stress. We're going to move away from that point, yeah? Yeah. I have one rule. Oh, then that's the rule you'll have to break to know the truth. Which is? The only sensible way to live in this world is without rules. And tonight you're going to break your one rule. I'm considering it. By the way, again, the all-knowing side, how, the, how does Joker know that he has a rule, that he's not going to kill people? Is that what he learns in the street? Uh, is this something that he just knows? Because, again, he's all-knowing? <laughs> I think it's picking up from the behavior. You know, yeah. there's there not a... Reading on the behavior. vigilante rap sheet is not murder. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, he does a ton of stuff, but he always turns in the criminals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, there you go. That makes sense. That's a good one. I'm considering it. No, there's only minutes left. You're going to have to play my little game if you want to save one of them. Yeah. You know, for a while there, I thought you really were a dent. The way you threw yourself after her. <laughs> Look at you go. What does Harvey know about you and his little bunny? And then Batman went to snap. Where are they? Killing is making a choice. Where are Choose between one life or the other. Your friend, the district attorney, or his blushing bride to be. Very similar to Fight Club scene here in the basement where Brad Pitt is laughing and just bleeding all over his assailant because here is total control. And this is, I, I love the, the, that, the control that comes out in Joker's language here. You have nothing, nothing to threaten me with. Nothing to do with all of your strength. There, there again, I know everything. I have put the plans in place, and I have overcome your power here. Don't worry. I'm going to tell you where they are. Both of them. And that's the point. You'll have to choose. He's at 250-52nd Street, and she's uh, on Avenue X. That's just a little. Which one are you going after? Rachel. In the script, I got to tell you guys this in the script. In the script, Batman says, Dent knew the risks, and then he leaves, which I think is a way better line than Rachel. Yeah. Um, sure. but, he re- but he goes off. Uh, thoughts on this scene? Man, as, as you're reading it, all I keep thinking about is Enneagram 3 Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Having to pull up and decide his own feelings that he can't set aside. Huh? And and make a choice, but I think it's the of all the things it this is just the most blunt simplification of the Joker dominant thinking with no feeling, mm-hmm. mm. and just here it, here it is, and then putting that putting that out there of and like we've talked about the whole time and nothing to lose like you can't yeah. do anything to me I know even if I didn't have the control that I had that you wouldn't kill me, but I also have this game that I'm going to play with you because I get to. Mm-hmm. And I've thought it all out. And now I would like, I'm going to continue to play the game throughout every Joker thing, uh, Joker series always. It's let's keep the game going. The game's got to continue. You know, his whole deal yeah. is, you know, the game for him only will end with death. Right. And I think that's the, you know, there's a, an illusion at the beginning of the movie, he's, someone says, you either die a hero or stay alive long enough to be a villain. Yep. Yeah. 
and the and that's like in the first three minutes of the movie. I swear. Yeah, Dent says it to Bruce Wayne, and then uh, Batman quotes it at the end. Okay, yeah, and and that's what with the Joker. His end game is either he's gonna live and play the game or die. Sure. And that's yeah, yeah. Those are the only two things that he's gonna do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boom. Cut to. Denton and Dawes speaking to each other from separate locations over a speakerphone, and they are both surrounded by oil drums, which are filled with gasoline. An, and you the, might the even excessive. say an excessive amount of yeah. oil drums. <laughs> <laughs> Got some bombs there. Um, Batman and Gordon are speaking to the scene, and then we cut back to the interrogation room. I love this scene. I this fills me with joy just at how well crafted this is. <laughs> <laughs> Joker is sitting there smiling and he looks at the guard is this old cop and he says I want my phone call I want it I want, it. I want my phone call That's nice. How many of your friends have I killed? I'm a 20 year man and I know the difference between punks who need a little lesson in manners and the freaks like you who would just enjoy it. And you killed six of my friends. And then he, he just mouths, six. <laughs> Such a good image. Um, and there's a prisoner outside who had been brought in earlier and his insights have, have hurt since he, come in, he came in. And then he collapses. And then we shoot back inside, and the Joker continuing to push. You want to know why I use a knife? Guns are too quick. You can't savor all the little emotions. And you see, in their last moments, people show you who they really are. So in a way, I knew your friends better than you ever did. Would you like to know which of them were cowards? Real similar to the way he was saying to Gordon. Like, he's just poking, 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 poking. Steven says, I know you're going to enjoy this. I'm going to have to try and enjoy it even more. Thoughts on, on that scene? Uh, Man, we talk about Sevens being insatiable. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And I sure. think that's coming up. Like, there's no... There's no amount of, uh, you know, with Gordon and then Batman and now this one. And then who, you know, this this would go on forever. Yeah. Mm. There's um, the the whole scene, like the, his entire presence in the interrogation room really drove this home for me. But I, I think it's it's in his character throughout. Fives are the type that are most likely to be condescendingly sarcastic. And and like the unhealthy seven living in being in a, an unhealthy five, like mm. like he uses that sarcasm to he uses it all of the time to to get people to do the thing that he's trying to get them to do. And so like like there's a there's a level of sarcasm present throughout the whole interrogation. It's like like I need you to react and I'm going to be a jerk about it to get you to react. And the bigger the jerk that he is when you look at the focus of the joke. So if we go all the way back to the pencil, 
Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a joke about the pencil. I mean, yep. it wasn't personal to a human being. I right. mean, we know what happened, but the joke there was, mm-hmm. hey, here's this pencil. And then other jokes he says, but then in instances like this, it is to hurt the other individual. Right. And that's where we talk on the Enneagram, that low side of five mm-hmm. of sarcasm and yeah. kind of cruel. Yeah. I have mm. I have knowledge and I'm going mm. to turn that knowledge into a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. We then see the Joker coming out of the interrogation room with the cop. <laughs> he has a piece of broken glass that's held to the cop's throat. The cop is yelling, this is my own damn fault, just shoot him. And then uh, some of the other cops see what's going on. What do you want? I just want my phone call. They look at each other. One of them pulls out a cell phone, tosses it to the Joker, who begins to dial. We again see the the sick prisoner who's on the ground, and there's a medic kind of messing with his stomach, and he's pressing on this rectangle that's sewed in there, yeah, and it suddenly contusion. illuminates. It's a contusion. <laughs> there's a blue light that you can see from under the skin. It comes on, and one of them says, Is that a phone? <laughs> There's chaos everywhere, and one man is standing, and he's no longer holding the cop. I assume that that piece of glass went through his through his throat. Um, just such a great scene because the music just build, 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 build. There's an explosion. He is the lone man standing, and he's just gonna walk right out of that that jail cell. Oh, he has to do one thing first, though. But any thoughts on this? I mean, the one thing that kind of hit me as far as the theme is enabling. Okay. You know, when a seven right there, if no one, if the cop doesn't buy in and then get an altercation with them, then nothing. Hmm. Yeah. If when they come out, they don't toss them a phone and nothing. Yeah. And all the times, you know, again, I'm on this side of that fence as the seven, but all the times the people that are out there with a seven in their life and they're like, damn it, why would I just, why didn't I just not fight with them? Why did I just not toss him the phone? Yeah. That yeah. that's the end, that's the end of the horror story. Yeah. Is if I had done that, if I had chosen not to enable them and given in to their, you know, Suzanne says with a seven, and that's what we talked about with the, insa- uh, being insatiable. Yeah. It's like being, when they want something, she says it's like being pecked to death by chickens. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. But <laughs> but I think other people would say that that is true. Yeah. And that's just a, right here, if we were to take an anagram story out of it, of, you know, what could we have done differently here, class? Mm-hmm. It's to not enable the unhealthy seven. Mm. Well, you cut to Batman entering an empty building no. and seeing Dent on the floor covered in gasoline. And as he's rescued, Dent knows that only one person's going to survive. And he starts yelling, not me, not me. Why did you come for me? And Rachel's on the phone. She hears this and she knows uh, only one's going to be saved. And she starts talking and the room explodes. And this, the first time you see it, this gets you. Like the, I just well well played, uh, Christopher Nolan. Just <laughs> that's exactly the right move, man. You gotta kill some some people you care about. Back at the prison, we then see the Joker walking to another cell. Sees Lau there, and he grins and he says, "Hello there." One of the things that 
struck me was that Dent was bait for the Joker. And here, Joker used himself as bait to get Lau out of prison. And there, a lot of times there's that, uh, what would you call that? You know, the two sides play throughout this movie. Hmm. Um, similar storylines. You, nev- um, you never know who's a step ahead. Mm. You always think, okay, he's he's got the upper hand. Oh, wait, he doesn't have the upper hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The um, see, I I see Dent as bait for both sides. Oh, oh, like, sure. There you yeah, go. Because, you're like, if they're warring over his over his soul, you know. Oh, like, sure. Well, yeah, yeah. And even when so, like, like physically, Dent puts himself in harm's way in order to draw the Joker. The Joker attacks Dent in order to draw out Batman. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think anyone who's really thinking about this believes that Dent is the Batman. Damn. I don't think the Joker thinks th- that either. That's a good call. I, I didn't think about that. It's a yeah. bait and the bait and the bait and the same. Yeah. Then uh, insert this, this beautiful scene of the Joker escaping in the cop car and uh, sticking his head out the, the window. The cars are kind of swerving and he's like a dog freedom. in the back feeling the wind. It's freedom. I suppose that's it. Not not stuck in prison anymore. Yeah, it's and it's the celebrating the victory. You know, that's the uh, if the saying is true about threes that they don't stick around for the confetti. Mm-hmm. Man, the Joker and enjoys his confetti. Hmm. Yeah. So he he knows when he has a win, uh, and he enjoys it. That was I, f- I don't remember what I just watched recently that they were like you know when enjoy the wins they're few and far between. Yeah. It's probably Game of Thrones, but I'm rewatching it right now. So that's why when you, I knew it was either Tyrion or Littlefinger that Game of Thrones <laughs> reference earlier. But yeah, the uh, well, if I worked for Warner Brothers, uh, this is where I would have stopped the movie and and realized, man, we can make another billion dollars off that next movie. And so this may be a good time to to cut the the episode in half, friends. It would mean the world to us. If you'd pause, take two seconds, write us a brief review and give us some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. You can find all the links to all of our stuff at aroundthecircle.org. Um, Joel, where, where can they find your work and Suzanne's work? And I, I'm a pawn in the LTM chessboard. <laughs> <laughs> or that's for said. I am not big on self-promotion. Okay. Uh, I'm, Which is I'm fine. so happy to be here. My, I don't have professional accounts, but on Instagram, if you want to see me and my kids and wife doing life, that's uh, at Joel Instabile. Uh, but if you follow Life in the Trinity Ministry and Suzanne Stabile, then that is where, uh, honestly, you'll see a lot of my work. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that, that's where it'll be. Humble man, he is, he is the, the man in charge of the Enneagram Journey, which is a fantastic podcast, uh, well worth checking out, doing a deep dive into all the wisdom that's there, and Joel is on there frequently moving, moving things along. For, for us, because we do love uh, uh, social media attention, we like shout-outs on Twitter and Instagram, tell us that we're, we're loved. It, uh, TJ doesn't need this, but... I'm I'm insecure, and so so I would appreciate somebody telling me, Jeff, you're doing a good job out there. <laughs> uh, the Jeff, best, you're doing a good job. Come on, I'll, I'll say it right now. So yeah. my, my heart needs to hear it. I just, I just want to be good, brother. Best thing you could do, however, obviously, is share this with somebody that you love, preferably someone who um, is terrified of clowns. 
Music is by The Collection at Greensboro, North Carolina. Who did the music for uh, Dark Knight? It's, um... Oh, I don't even remember. Someone who brilliant did I'm, things that have never been done in film before. I'm the worst. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. James Dean well, Howard and Hans Zimmer. I'm the worst. <laughs> Aside from that, uh, do y'all have anything else? I got nothing. No, man. Thank you. I'm, ex- I'm excited. I'll, always excited. Always. <laughs> Always excited. He's CJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. He's Joel Stabile. He is a fantastic steward of everything poured in his lap. And I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are, and you'll set the world on fire. <laughs>